the blast from our past network. Hey everyone, co-host Corey here. I just wanted to take a quick second and say thank you to all of our Patreon supporters. Without you, podcasting after dark would not be possible. If you would like to help the show grow, please consider signing up at patreon.com slash podcasting after dark. You can also support the show by purchasing one of our awesome t-shirt designs on our merch store at podcastingafterdark.com or by picking up a copy of Seven Winters Alone by David Irons on paperback, hardback, or Kindle. Just search for Seven Winters Alone on Amazon or click on the link in the show notes. A free way to help out is to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Those reviews are huge for us and really helps get the show in front of new listeners. Again, thank you all so much for the love and support you've given us over these past few years. It really means the world to us. Lock your doors, close your windows, turn out your lights, for chills and thrills await you. It's time for Podcasting After Dark with your hosts, Corey Stevenson and Zach Schaefer. Stay with a friend, say your prayers as grisly ghouls close in to seal your doom. Tonight's episode, Hard Ticket to Hawaii. Starring Ron Moss, Donna Spear, and Hope Marie Carlton. It's a hard ticket to Hawaii. It's not paradise all the time. It's a hard ticket to Hawaii. (laughs) Oh man, buddy. I love that song so damn much. Thank you for singing it with me. (laughs) I tell you what, if, if Andrew Dice Clay was in the recording studio while that song was being done, he'd be like, what the hell is this? <laughs> you know what he would say? He would say, what are these assholes smiling about? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, if there's any indication of what we we're about to watch, I could see what they would be smiling about. Makes total sense. Yeah, dude. First off, I'm Corey, a.k.a. Sleazy C, joined with me, as always, by my brother from another mother, Zach, the total snackhead shaver. What's up, buddy? What's up? I think I'm going to be shirtless for the rest of this episode and all oiled up. Thank God. I I have no problem when you're shirtless. Now, I will say, before we get into Hard Ticket to Hawaii, you just came back from a trip to Hawaii, which is absolutely perfect. And I got to know, buddy, did you pay the price for paradise? Oh, boy, oh, boy, buddy, boy, I sure did, sadly to say. As much as I had an amazing time in Hawaii, I paid the price on one trip, which resulted in several buckets of vomit being filled, uh, several buckets being filled with vomit, I should say. It was brutal. It was brutal. But if you want to hear that whole story and more about my trip to Hawaii... Check out our wrap-up after dark on Patreon. It's a cheap plug, I know, but it kind of makes sense because I'll go more into detail about what happened on my trip to Hawaii. And oh boy, oh boy, was it was it a hard ticket at times, but at a, <laughs> on the other hand, it was also a soft, fun ride. Oh, man. Now, I, I, I know you get uh, motion sickness on, on the plane and on boats, so I'm going to... Don't say anything because I want to hear the story for myself, but I, is it a motion sickness story? 
Oh, yeah, it is. It's okay. one of those stories where you think, I'll just tease this. It's one of those stories where you think, oh, there's no way. There is no way something bad would happen. And it did. So <laughs> if you want to hear the whole story, and those of you that are already patrons, you'll be able to hear it. But if you want to hear it, the full gory details, sign up. It's a good one. It's a good story. I, There's I a lot of great wait. content on there besides my vomit story, by the way. I'm just going to say. <laughs> that is going to be the main reason to join. So, And speaking of Patreon, this is a Patreon-picked episode. Uh, our pal Erin, this is her first ding, movie. Ding, ding. So thank you so much, Erin, for picking Hard Ticket to Hawaii. Sleazy C approves. God, I love this movie. Uh, but thank you, Aaron. Thank you so much for, for supporting us. Thank you for supporting us on Instagram. Thank you for, you know, supporting us financially. Thank you for supporting us with all the love that you support us with. And uh, we really, really appreciate it. So thank you. Thank you so much. And thank you for picking our ticket to Hawaii. Yeah, Aaron, you, you behind the scenes, uh, Aaron was very torn between certain movies to choose for her first selection. You know, Crystal hit it out the park with her first selection, Monster Squad, just blew the socks off what we expected to be breaking down. It was perfect. Aaron, you have set the bar very high for your picks moving forward because this one is kind of the perfect pad movie. And in all full disclosure, we had discussed doing this movie at some point. So you pulling the trigger and taking this one uh, is is a blessing. It's a you blessing. You pulling the Picasso trigger. <laughs> the Picasso trigger. The seven-barrel Picasso trigger. And if you don't know what that seven references, well, you'll find out in a little bit. That's right. That's right. So, uh, Zach, um, I'll just give you my experience with the film. Uh, so, Hard Ticket to Hawaii, I actually watched it, I think, about last year. Uh, I was go I went down an Andy Sedaris rabbit hole because I realized I don't think I'd ever seen any of his movies in their entirety, although I'm sure I caught a lot on Skinamax back in the day uh, because I, I pretty much lived on Skinamax on the weekends. Um, but I, I picked this up because they're all so cheap on Amazon. Like, each movie is is um, like 12 bucks on Blu-ray. So I just kind of, like, you know, did a quick Google search what everyone liked the most and they're like hard to get to Hawaii so I picked it up and I watched it last year and I fucking loved it loved every goddamn ridiculous second of this film and uh, yeah like Zach said we definitely were gonna get to it at some point um, we don't know when but at some point I did ask Zach I was like hey man I know we can't really do Emmanuel films, but uh, can we do Andy Sedaris ones? And he was like, yeah, dude, we can do this. And I was like, oh, baby. So <laughs> I will say this. Thank you, Aaron. And and maybe this won't now be the only Andy Sedaris film that we ever do. We I may pull one out uh, later because I want to go down and watch more. I want to go down the rabbit hole of Andy Sedaris. And I I had I adore him in all of his sleaziness. Uh, R.I.P. Of course, he, he passed away a while ago. But man, oh man, is he my kind of sleaze? I I feel like it's, there's some version of me where Andy Sedaris is the final form. You know what I mean? What I would have destined to become <laughs> if I if I was in this industry. But uh, but anyways, Zach, what is your uh, experience with Hard Ticket to Hawaii and or other Andy Sedaris films in general? Well, first of all, shout out to Mill Creek because Mill Creek put out Hard Ticket to Hawaii on their label uh, and all the other all the other Sedaris ones, uh, with the exception of one. The first one, the first one in this 
quadrilogy or however many titles there are in this in this series i think there's like 10 at this point um the first one was called seven and by the way highly recommend seven to everybody uh that one came on 79 and i think it was 79 when it came out uh yeah yeah and and starred uh william smith who is like a legendary b B movie actor grizzled veteran um also had Art Metrano, who is famous for being in the Police Academy movies, and um, Ed Parker, who is the founder of American Kempo Karate, uh, and a lot of other very notice, a, a lot of very uh, like noticeable people in this. Oh, Martin Cove, yeah. Sensei Kreese, of course, yep. was in it as well. So um, seven is what my seven is what started my Sedaris run. Um, my brother would record many uh, Sedaris movie on Cinemax late at night and and keep them for whatever reason. <clears throat> and uh, I saw his tapes and I was going through puberty and I watched those tapes and I think you can surmise the rest is history. Um, <laughs> so that's about when I saw most of these movies. You know, it Hard Ticket is the third movie in the series of hawaii set films i think the yeah the first one was seven seven, followed by malibu express right then hard ticket then picasso trigger and then savage beach yeah and they get progressively worse yeah Um, that's that's what i've heard unfortunately i'm not gonna you know let's call let's call what it is these movies are these movies are not that great however um the 80s as we've said many times before the 80s holds such a warm place in our hearts so you know, this one is you know, 1987, right? Is that when that one came? Yeah, yeah this one's 1987. Yeah. yeah, this one's 87. So, Casa Trigger will be 88. And I think everything moving forward is in the 90s, right? Yeah. So, no, Savage um, Beach is 89, but yeah, Guns starts out at 90, and then kind of they they move forward with that. And and you know, I've got to say, man, one of the things that really drew me towards Hard Ticket was the freaking poster art is beautiful. It's it's painted. It's amazing. So is Malibu Express and 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 so is Seven. But Picasso Trigger, it looks like it starts getting a little bit photoshoppy and then the rest of them just go downhill into into your typical photoshop, you know, covers from the 90s. But I was very impressed with the the early painted covers like this one, like Hard Ticket to Hawaii. Yeah, lunch meat uh, VHS or lunch meat. I think they're called lunch meat VHS, um, something like that, or maybe just lunch meat. They put out uh, new VHS tapes all the time, and they reissued Hard Ticket to Hawaii on VHS, and I own that. It's a orange and yellow cassette tape. It's beautiful, just to like have it up on my shelf, you know. And I, I would say it's been a minute since I've seen Picasso Trigger, but I have a feeling that that one is not good and maybe hard ticket is like pretty much the the penal no pretty much the ultimate version of like what should be considered you know softcore uh not even softcore though dude because like let's be honest the love scenes in this are very tame by today's standards (laughs) almost pg-13 tame i I mean Aside from the like the massive amounts of nudity, I would say that it, at, at when I was a kid, 
I probably found the Terminator sex scene to be much more erotic than any of the ones in here, you know? Agreed. Agreed. Um, yep. Yeah. It's <laughs> with the hand holding and, and all that kind of, and the, and the passion in Linda Hamilton. But uh, yeah, yeah, here. The dun, 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 dun. <laughs> and the driving soundtrack. Here, you know. <laughs> The, 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 obviously the ladies are all hot, but yeah, the, the, the sex scenes definitely lack a, an eroticism to them. They're not sexy at all. As, no. to, as, uh, you know, Buck would say in Boogie Nights, it's just not sexy. It's yeah. not sexy, Jack. But I do echo, and I think the internet echoes your sentimentality, which is that Hard Ticket to Hawaii is probably the, the gold standard for the Andy Sedaris, you know, movies, uh, for the Andy Sedaris catalog. Um, but I do think that other movies have, like, you know, some nice things about them. And later on, you start getting into, like, <laughs> Julie Strain and whatnot is in them and everything. Who's yep. She's always awesome. Well, Pat Morita was mm-hmm. in one, maybe two of them. Uh, everybody should go check out Seven, by the way. I, I said it earlier, but go check it out. It's available on Kino. Um, well, and it's it's funny you mention that because I'm, I'm on IMDb right now, and of all the Andy Sedaris movies, Seven has the highest user rating um, by a large margin. Uh, uh, large margin. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> but, like, so, like, it's it's got, like, a 58 and then the next highest is Hard Ticket to Hawaii, which has a 4.9. Everything else has lower than that, like down to like fours and stuff. So apparently oh, yeah. seven in Hard Ticket are probably his two best. Yeah, I think the minute he started getting into um, <clears throat> surgically enhanced uh, yeah. models for his movies, that's when it started going downhill. And, you know, these are this these are like the all natural, I think, for the most part. Right. I, I think so. if they're not, they had great jobs, like great, you know, uh, uh, plastic surgery jobs, because everyone looks natural to me, especially Donna <laughs> Spear. I mean, guys and gals, we can't not have this discussion. I mean, I mean, it's it is like, look, guys, this is as dark and dirty as we're going to get. And it's really not that big of a deal. But yeah, I mean, this is this. The memories permeate throughout. They do. They do. And boy, oh boy, does Donna Spear lead the charge. Uh, she is voluptuous, uh, to say the least, a statuesque blonde beauty. And uh, you, you want to dive, just dive into the cast and crew? We, we just sure. talked about Andy Sedaris. He's the writer and the, the director of all these movies. Um, he also is his wife is a producer. And I do real quick, like on the side, like watching some behind the scenes stuff. I like the fact that both of them knew exactly the kind of movies they were making. And like, you know, they understood, and I would say more so like his wife and everything, I appreciate that. She understands what the market was for this and what they were doing and the niche that they sort of kind of controlled for, for a period of time, you know? I mean, these, like you said, these are kind of the ultimate Skinamax films. Yeah, look, I, I feel like if uh, Harvey Weinstein had fully, like, fully embraced his uh, grossness and just made movies that stimulated that, side of him he might not have gotten into the trouble that he got himself into because he tried yeah. to keep it so private and secretive and everything Andy Sedaris is like I'm speaking for him and I'm sure he didn't say this but maybe in some respect he did I love women and I love to see women get naked so this is what I like and if this is what I like then uh, let's make movie about it why do I sound like one of the canon guys I have no idea <laughs> but it is what like, it you... is I like TNA and guns I like guns I was like, are you going down the electric boogaloo uh, route here? 
Pretty much. I mean, that may be my voice throughout the rest of this episode. I like that scene when they, you know, get naked with big guns. That is A-OK, my friend, uh, because <laughs> his actual voice is not that cool. And you do hear it in the movie no. because we should call it out real quick. Uh, you do see Andy Sedaris in the film. He plays Whitey, the the sleazy TV producer, TV director from New York, the big time TV director from New York. And he I is mean, purely sleazy in this movie. It's Harvey Weinstein, guys. Like, it's, yeah. it is what... Uh, you know i'm sure was talked about in hollywood but obviously covered up for decades so at least uh hey at least i came up in an open and i say who i am i like dna and guns hey that's what they like to do i mean props to him for that dude i, I give nothing but props so no doubt no doubt so you know yeah he he was the one he's the mastermind behind all this um ron moss is the one of the leads he plays rowdy and Ron one, Moss one of, says uh, one of the beautiful dum dums in this movie. <laughs> yeah, uh, he took over for the dude, um, some other dude in um, oh, Mal- the Malibu Express dude. He took over for uh, Cody, played by uh, Darby Hinton. Um, but it, but in the movie, in this movie, C- Cody and and Rowdy are cousins. So, and I really quick, I do like the fact that Andy Sedaris also created his own like shared universe, like his own mini MCU. Like that's pretty fucking impressive. Yeah, yeah, he created a whole multiverse. He did. <laughs> um, he really did. He really did. You know, and and one of the stars of this one, and she went on to do I think two or three more, actually a lot more. Uh, I think five. Uh, more roles uh, reprising her role each time was Donna Spear who plays Donna (laughs) stretch and uh, you know yeah she's a former playboy playmate yada 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 you're going to hear that often when we talk about the cast and while you're talking about her now I'll just mention the only bit of behind the scenes trivia I can really add uh, according to her biography autobiography uh, this movie she was kind of drunk the entire time and she was not uh, really pleased with her performance but after after hard ticket she actually got sober through the help of like Andy Sedaris and his wife and everything and then moving forward on the movies that they actually shot on she said that they would have a car ready to take her to AA anytime she wanted to on set. If she felt like she was like going to fall back on the wagon, off the wagon, I never know how it goes, but start drinking again. And so I, if it's true, if all this is true, again, that's actually pretty fucking cool that they were yeah. so supportive of her recovery. And I think she's, I believe she's been sober ever since, which is impressive. Wow. That's a, uh, that's a really big deal. Um, I, I, I could see why she would have, well, at first I was like, oh, that makes sense. That tracks while she while she was drunk all the time because maybe she didn't want to do this movie. But then she went on to do several more and more intensely, I suppose. Um, and that's great. I'm happy to hear that. And I'm not going to make a bad joke. No, do not make a bad joke about <laughs> what I did with her because Donna is a beautiful woman. Why, why do you sound like the dude from Canon? I don't know. It's just the voice I put on. And, and I mean, that's honestly, that's super supportive of Andy Sedaris and his wife to, yeah. to do that. So props yeah, again, uh, props to props to Andy Sedaris. Yeah, big time. Another another uh, uh, find for Andy was Hope Marie Carlton, who plays Taryn. And oh, boy, she's been in a bunch of stuff. Um, but she was the pinup girl in A Nightmare on Elm Street Part Four. I think she was the the the, one the, that, uh, uh, the waterbed woman. 
right? Yes, where she shoots her tongue out or something, and, and it you know wraps up his arms and everything, and then the bed falls out from underneath of him. So yeah, okay, yeah, sure. <laughs> I think so. I don't know. It's been a while since I've seen it, so I'm just gonna go with yes, <laughs> yes. And she yeah, did like eight that's more her movies. Ma- so. That's her biggest like mainstream thing that she did, I think. Yeah, and she, I mean, one of her, she was also, again, another Playboy Playmate. Yes. Um, and then there's Rodrigo Obregón, who plays Seth Romero. This guy showed up in quite a few uh, of Andy Sedaris' movies as well, like Hard Hunted, Savage Beast. Uh, he was in Collateral, which is a Schwarzenegger movie. And, yeah. And, you know, nothing, something to be proud of, for sure. Yeah, and then the other half. Of the beautiful dum-dums, Harold yes. Diamond uh, playing Jade. I'm not going to lie to you, my least favorite person in this entire movie. I just, I was not digging on his energy, and I wasn't digging on, like, like what he was all about. But, uh, but Jade, yeah, uh, Harold Diamond. Harold Diamond actually is a legit American kickboxer, um, and he was in Rambo 3. And, you know, the guy, let's call it out, the guy's a legitimate badass. And, sure. uh, you know, he, he and he's very uh, offensive with some of his dialogue <laughs> towards yes. our, uh, you know, Asian American community. So, yes. Uh, yes. so for that, he gets an F, but everything else he gets a B minus. <laughs> uh, uh, Cynthia Brimhall plays Edie. Cynthia Brimhall has been in a ton of... Sedaris's movies, and she's also a Playboy playmate. I I pick the best girls. I pick the. I say to my wife, "Honey, can we get a subscription subscription to Playboy?" And she says, "Of course we can. You know, for research. You know." I, I mean, there's there's clearly a theme going on here, but again, I'm gonna say that Andy Sedaris is great because he keeps working with the same people. He keeps giving people work. You know. Yeah, yeah. There's only one more dude. I'm gonna. Uh, there was only one more dude I was going to point out. Wolf Is Larson. Our our buddy uh, uh, Wolf Larson, a.k.a. Jimmy John Jackson, baby. Now, Jimmy John like, Jackson. On the oh, other man. side of the Jade flip coin, I love Jimmy John Jackson in this movie. He was great. He was great. He was on a TV show called L.A. Heat, uh, which in the late 90s, which was a decent TV show. I think he's one of the leads on that show with Stephen Williams from 21 Jump Street and... Jason goes to hell. <laughs> nice. Yeah, so LA Heat was actually a pretty decent show. Uh, you guys should check that out. But that pretty much rounds out the the most important cast members. I might say the inflatable doll was important, too, for a moment. And Skateboard, <laughs> we saw at one point. Skateboard's a pretty awesome actor. Uh, skateboard does a great job of going down the street by itself. So uh, shout out to Skateboard. Shout out to Skateboard. What up, Skateboard? <laughs> Now, you don't want to give Kimo a shout-out? Uh, Rustam Brananaman, he was in Iron Man 3. Oh, boy, do I hate every word that comes out of Kimo's mouth in this movie and his and his weird eyebrows that are just... He always looks like he's shocked and surprised as he barely ables to mumble out his lines. Yeah, I think that's probably why I didn't bring him up, but thank you for doing so. <laughs> thank you for doing so. Uh, but I do want to call out uh, uh, Earring, played by Glenn Chin. He was in an episode of Seinfeld, so good for him. <laughs> have you did, did you have you seen that episode yet, or do you know the episode that he's oh, in? Oh yeah, it's so stereotypical. You you, I'm sure you can picture it in your head. He's the heavy Asian guy, like like season five, I think. I, it was was the episode he was in. 
that's really not surprising. Yeah, yeah, real, <laughs> real stretch. Um, but, but I will say, don't sleep on Peter Bromelo because he actually has some good, good stuff under his belt, like Highlander too. You know, the best Highlander. I just also want to point out because I know, guys, you're typically I, I named the cast and I stopped and then con- Corey continued to go and he's shouting out people like John Balaganog and <laughs> Kurt Longhair and like Johnny Long Johns, you know? <laughs> he was in three seconds of Too Close for Comfort, guys. Come on. <laughs> Now, he was a that, walk-on. That would be impressive. That would be impressive. <laughs> so there's usually a method to my madness, and I think it's pretty obvious why. <laughs> Corey's like, I'm excited for this guy. Hey, Mr. Chang was in Briscoe County Junior, buddy, a TV Obscura hey. show that we love. So, Dude, I, I props to that shit. <laughs> you props to that show. Not Mr. Chang, though, but props to Briscoe County. <laughs> props to Briscoe. Come on. Oh, shit. This is, as you can tell, guys, this is going to be a very interesting episode. So, Aaron, you're welcome, and thank you. Yeah, guys, um, I'm going to be breaking this one down, and, I mean, I tracked it all like, like you know, we, we normally would. Crazy dialogue and all. And, and, guys and gals, I'm just putting the disclaimer out now. If any of the dialogue that I say sounds weird, just know that I transcribed it from the subtitles exactly as they say it, and I'm not entirely sure what exactly happens in every scene of this movie, but I have it all, and we're going to walk through it like this is any other movie. So, uh, yeah, this might be the most analyzation or discussion Hard Ticket to Hawaii has ever had in one condensed go. Probably. And you know, what's interesting about this, and and I was thinking about it watching this movie, this movie has been talked about probably on other podcasts many times. But our approach, as you guys well know, is very different from everybody else. Will there be shitting? Perhaps there'll be some shitting, but is it in a way to like trash the movie? No, it's a very matter of fact sort of way. And I also want to point out too, whatever dialogue Corey brings up has no reflection of me or him or our personal feelings. So if he says, for example, uh, women are supposed to be soft or something to that effect, that is not a direct quote. It is a quote from the movie, not Corey himself. Thank you. And I do have that quote ready to go. So I'm sure you do that. (laughs) And also two guys, you know, really quick before we get into the whole bingo, bango, tinga, tango, Aaron, Aaron uh, picked this movie for us to break down. And again, thank you, thank you, thank you. You can be one to break down this movie or any movie of your choosing uh, with a little caveat. Uh, yeah, no, no Emmanuel, no, no black Emmanuel or anything with Lord Gemser. Yeah, no ping pong balls being shot out of any <laughs> orifice. Yep. Uh, but but you can if you sign up at our highest tier on Patreon, then you can be one to break down a movie. Uh, or suggest a movie you, for us to break down. You don't sorry, have to do yes. all the hard work because this took two days for me to break this down. Yeah, like the song says, it's not not paradise all the time. But <laughs> if you choose the movie, it will be paradise for you. Exactly. So, Aaron, I hope you're feeling like it's paradise for you. Zach, you want to sing us in to the breakdown? It's a hard ticket to Hawaii. It's not paradise all the time. Did you hear those cats? (laughs) God damn it. God damn it. 
Hard ticket to Hawaii. It has it all. The awesome, pristine beauty of the land. The warm caress of perfect beaches. The tantalizing wetness of the blue Pacific. Hawaii. It's a great place to visit. But you wouldn't want to die there. Four of America's finest ready and willing to pay the price for paradise. Ah. They're undercover, but not under-equipped. On this mission, there's hard flying, hard playing, hard fighting. Agents are everywhere. ain't no hula. It's a hard ticket to Hawaii. Hard ticket to Hawaii, 1987. The movie starts... <laughs> sorry, sorry. No, that's okay. It's stuck in my head too, bro. I can't help so it. I love that song so, so much. It's not as good as Bumpin' the Night uh, for Witchboard, but uh, it's up there, man. It's up there with some of my favorite songs from the movies that we've covered on this show. And I do want to say really quick, Kevin Tenney, who directed uh, Witchboard, gave us a shout-out via his Facebook mm. personal page because he did listen to our breakdown. He enjoyed it immensely. And, uh, and so I'm just saying, that's cool. the guys who that's make the cool. movies listen to our shows. That's cool. I, I wish Andy Sedaris was still around so I could, God, I give him a big old hug, man. I've been like, maybe thank we you, could get Donna Spear on the show. <clears throat> that would that would be. I'd give her a hug too. So moving oh, on, <laughs> the movie starts. By the with way, a, the opening, that opening logo, the Malibu uh, Bay Films logo is yeah. so dope. Yeah, no, no, I, I love that one. Um, and man, I can't wait to talk about the best credits we've ever seen on a pad movie to date. Uh, but yeah, dude, totally. And it also starts with a freaking beautiful Hawaiian sunset. Uh, lots oh. of, of beautiful shots in this movie. They definitely did a great job of utilizing the location that they, they used. Been there, done that. I wonder if the uh, the gods were appreciative of Sedaris's work. I, oh, well, I guess he'll find out now that he's dead. Yes, exactly. Uh, we then see a sign for the Ala Moana Yacht Club, Honolulu. So we know we're in Honolulu right now. Donna and Rowdy are in their bathing suits on the deck of the Malibu Express. Donna tells Rowdy he should get in the water, but Rowdy says he has better things to do with his body temperature and pulls Donna close and kisses her. Yeah, guys, that's this. this is what this kind of movie is going to be. I'm making a movie here, guys. You don't understand. This is a real movie. This dialogue is so good. It is. It's a real movie. It is a real movie. Yeah, I'm you know who said that? Every porno good. director. Every porno <laughs> director in the 80s said that, too. It's a real movie. It's really good. Yeah, back when they actually shot it on film and everything. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Below the deck of the Malibu Express, Donna and Rowdy are in their bath towels, and Rowdy hands Donna, I guess, a cup of coffee. 
Donna says, I'm going to miss you, Rowdy Abilene. He says that uh, she doesn't have to go back to Molokai. He can request her to be staffed with him in Honolulu. But Donna says that the agency wants her in Molokai. Rowdy says, drug enforcement is no job for a girl like you. To which she scoffs, right. Stay here and play you Tarzan, me Jane. Rowdy smiles and says, you can't blame me for trying. Donna says, yeah, well, try this and drops her towel. She then rips off Rowdy's towel and they kiss. And, <laughs> Do you like how sweet my I mean, little and they kiss? <laughs> I mean, it's I'm, so hilarious because it, 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 it literally is just like that. And then and that's it for the scene. That's it. That's it. That's it for the scene. Scene break. I have my scene break right there. <laughs> yep. Cut to two police officers getting out of a little boat on an island. The older officer tells the younger one to leave the guns on the boat. They won't need them. As the two officers walk deeper into the island, the older one tells the younger rookie that the island, this part of the island, belongs to a family that's been growing weed there for multiple generations. Once a year I come down, I tell them, hey, take it easy, brah. Then I hit them with a small fine, and off I go. The rookie asks if they keep growing it. Oh, yeah, no no, no hurt nobody. Guys, again, I'm just reading the, the dialogue. Uh, it will make work for the locals. He's, this is your terrible pigeon accent, by the way. Yeah, no, yeah, exactly. Uh, the locals spend their money in town. Everybody makes out. Me, I get a small package for my troubles. He then tells the rookie uh, that in a month he's going to retire, so he needs to learn the routine. So, of course, it's like, okay, well, if you're going to retire, that means you're dead now because, you know, you know your retirement's coming. But I got to yep. say, I mean, he's not wrong about the whole weed thing. It, like, it shouldn't be illegal because, yeah, they, the, the families, they spend their money in town, and it's, it's helpful for everybody. It only took, uh, what, 30-some-odd years for us to catch up to that, that thought idea. process? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yep. Thank, thank you to Colorado for leading the way. Goddamn. The two police officers make their way to the encampment, but instead of finding the family that owns that part of the island, they find a large operation with multiple people harvesting and some hired guns. Sensing something is wrong, the two police officers quickly make their way back to the boat, but unfortunately stumble upon a booby trap, the kind that kind of ties their legs up and, you know, lifts them up into the air. Um, our three main goons, Shades, Earring, and Skater... That's their name, guys. Shades, Earring, and Skater. Find the cops hanging upside down and gun them down. Shades and his blonde nose hairs tell them to dispose of the evidence, including their boat. Oh, Zach, I could talk for an hour about Shades' blonde fucking nose hairs that you see. <laughs> well, I doubt Larry Hama designed these guys or, or created these guys when he was doing G.I. Joe. Yeah. These are like rejected G.I. Joe Maybe it was Larry Hama. He's like, guys, look, I got this great idea for a character. We call him Shades. Larry, stop smoking weed and come up with some real guys. How about Snake Eyes? Sure. <laughs> How about Snake I, Eyes? I mean, the, hey, Larry, does the Shades, what is, what's his thing? Oh, he wears shades. Oh, okay. And what about Earring? Oh, he's got an earring. Oh, that, that makes sense. And what about Skater? Well, he rides a skateboard. Bah, boom. That's hat trick right there, buddy. All three of them out of the park. <laughs> but I want to throw a wrench into Skater. He also likes hanging out with inflatable dolls perfect dude okay so earring is a overweight uh i guess you know asian gentleman asian american gentleman uh shades like we said is is a blonde guy clean shaven blonde guy with incredibly blonde nose hairs and then skater (laughs) oh skater he looks like he's 40 
But I guarantee you, he looks like Tiger King. Tiger King does. He fucking does. I wrote that down. I'm like, is that the Tiger King? (laughs) He's got a blonde mustache and thinning blonde hair. But I guarantee you, he's probably 30 years old. You know, and uh, I'm guessing he's probably a pro skater. Uh, yeah, I get that's safe to assume. Yeah, yeah, because he because he does his own stunts in the movie. So, yeah, yeah, sure. He was probably Mister Popular in high school, and then his hair started falling out, and he's like, "Oh, I can't be popular anymore." Yep. <laughs> now, I will say there were some good uh, squibs on the on the cops when they shoot them and everything, and that was kind of brutal because they're hanging upside down, they can't defend themselves, and they're just screaming as uh, Shades kind of plugs them. So, you know, we already out of the gate. I noticed, I'm like, okay, this movie's actually a smidge bloody, and it's going to actually get kind of violent in parts that I'm like, wow, that's that's kind of wild, you know? And uh, Andy Sears doesn't seem to shy away from some some blood and squibs in this movie. Yeah, the gore the gore factor is pretty, pretty good with yeah. uh, the early Sedaris movies. Then as we get later on, he gets more into, you know, just the li- literal TNA. And it is interesting, I think... I'm just, again, thinking of him going, well, if I want to get R rating, I can show TNA, but I can't show the sex scene. So I do lots of TNA and no sex, and I get a nice R. So uh, everyone can rent, including kids. No. You're actually, I think, fairly on point because my understanding is this movie almost got an X rating, uh, mainly for just for the violence, as specifically skater getting exploded um but i think you're right i think he probably was like you know what all these effects and everything they take time they take money to do right and they also could bite me in the ass let me just lose the squibs and the violence and i think probably the smart play to make but this movie has them and i do think it that's what makes this movie so fucking interesting is because of its violence yeah i i think Again, this is a very interesting movie in time when it came out because moving forward, these the emphasis became more on the sex. And look, I'm not criticizing one way or the other. It's just matter of fact. Yeah. They they lost. They started to lose the story and it just became about literally like a softcore porn. And that's all it was. It was like a setup to get to the next sex scene. And look, again, that's fine. But this one seemed like they were really trying to build. Like, I like the plot of this movie. The plot yeah, of this movie is it's pretty fun. decent. Yeah. yeah. And and honestly, even when I was younger, you know, and I started getting older, I was like, okay, you know, with, with like Skinamax movies that I would watch in, in the 90s, I was like, you know, I don't want to be able to count down like, okay, boobs coming in five seconds. Like, that's great and all, but it's movies like this that you don't know when they're coming. Yeah, there's there's a lot of them, but you don't know when they're coming. You're like, oh, hey, here we go. There's some boobs right now. I just, I want, I'm with you, dude. I want a story wrapped around my pornography, you know? <laughs> or should I say I want my pornography wrapped around a story? I don't know. But I like to So what see- you're saying is when you rented a porn it wasn't it wasn't uh the, the tape you could when you pull the tape out to inspect it as a, a video store employee you could tell where they like stopped basically where they you know finished and then they oh, yeah. returned it oh yeah you, no. you went all the way through of course all the way through baby but oh i know that all too well as a p- person who worked at a video store for 10 years i always hated knowing exactly the part that they came you know <laughs> is this another this is going to be a great story to share on on uh, tales from the video store but it will yeah. it will uh but you know what else i love about this movie 
Dude, so, I, so this scene ends with, like, fucking a great shot of fucking Shades and his nose hairs being like, fucking take the bodies in the boat and throw them in the chipper. And then it goes, boom, hard ticket to Hawaii. And then we get the opening credits. And I was like, yes, oh. yes. Like, it's so good, the transition. And then, never thought in my entire life, the best credits I've ever fucking seen are in an Andy Sedaris film. So... Uh, the movie, like, so part of the movie is this uh, Molokai, like, uh, delivery service, and the credits all take place in, like, this delivery warehouse, and the everyone's names and stuff are, like, stenciled on the side of, like, boxes, and it, they just do a great job of, like, pulling the box out with a forklift, and then the, the person's name is front and center right there. It's such a good opening credits, dude. It's very imaginative. Uh, I remember when Seven came out and everybody was blowing their load over the credits. Rightfully so. It's a great credit sequence. And then that same guy went on to do Fight Club. And I think he did a few with uh, with the director of both. Yeah, that, the guy who did the Seven opening credit sequences, he, he became Fincher's uh, guy. And basically his claim to fame is he just does those opening credit sequences. Yeah, and it became like a very it became interesting again to watch the credits to these movies that opening to hard ticket. It's like better than maybe it should have been right. Oh, oh uh, yeah. Jake, Light years better than it ever should have been. It reminded me of uh, Jake speed in the beginning of Jake speed because his name gets like kind of blown up on, uh, on a, on a crate or whatever, uh, like embossed on a crate and, um, and really badass. But then it, they take it one step further in this one where they literally make the credits a part of the movie. It's really yep. brilliant. Yeah, it's really well done. It, it makes for an enjoyable five minutes. I mean, yeah, and they do pad it. It is padded. It is about five minutes long of credits. But again, doesn't feel like it because you're also kind yep. of like introduced to the to the Dixon character during it too. And, and he's going to come yeah. into play and everything. So it's it's really good. And honestly... It's worth watching for the ladies and the credits just alone by themselves. So after the credits are done, the scene in the warehouse sort of continues and we see a heavy box labeled caution live snake being placed to the side. Thanks to a very awkward placement of the box, the straps holding the lid on are accidentally ripped off by a forklift. No one seems to notice. And we see a, we see a grotesque snake hiss. It's the same snake that you could buy. Uh, I think the Horde, uh, uh, Masters of the Universe Horde playset with that shitty ass snake that you yeah. stuck your hand up inside. It's a hand puppet. It's hilarious. It's h- hilariously awesome, actually. Yeah. I think yeah. I love it because it's so bad. It's so bad that it's it's so unreal looking, uh, which is what makes it even better. Yeah, I'm a hundred percent with you, buddy. I got zero complaints about the snake. Uh, you never you never complain about the snake. <laughs> Sleazy <Look>. Z. <laughs> you guys, look, this is not sexual. I have a snake for this movie. It's it's right here in my pants. Oh, my God. He's doing it again. Get it out of your pants. No, no, really. It's from my toys, my son's playset. Oh, that's even worse. Get it out of here. <laughs> Cut to a beautiful sunrise on the beach, and we see Taryn running out of the water and up towards a beach house. We see Donna come tearing in with her Jeep on the grass. Uh, She gets out and is just wearing a brown sleeveless button-down shirt, brown booty shorts, and white cowboy boots. 
Taryn comes running up to her in, in her bathing suit and uh, rinses off in the outdoor shower. She says, these early morning hours are killing me. Donna says, drug enforcement agents can't afford to get soft. To which Karen replies, I'm supposed to be soft. I'm a woman. And proceeds to take her top off. <laughs> By the way, Taryn, I love Taryn. She's such, her, her energy is so much fun. And she's so bubbly and, and cute. And pff, fucking smoke show. <laughs> she's fucking amazing. But I love Taryn, man. She's, she's beautiful. And when I say the, I, the beautiful yeah. dum-dums, I am not referring to the ladies. I am only referring, and I will always refer to the team of Rowdy and, and Jade as the beautiful dum-dums. Because in this movie, I'd say they are dumber than the ladies. They're they're buffoons, but yes. it is funny that like we can easily call them dum-dums, but maybe not. wouldn't be great if we did the same for <clears throat> the ladies. Yeah. But uh, Taryn is, Taryn is, uh, she's... A few sticks short of a log cabin, I would say. Uh, you know, she's a little, she's a little ditzy, but uh, man, she's 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 great. She yeah. uh, she fills out her role really well, <clears throat> and a bathing suit. <laughs> oh yeah, that too. Yeah. And not a bathing suit because she takes her top off. Uh, Donna reminds. If I ever feel like I'm gonna get myself in trouble, I'll just say it's a hard ticket to Hawaii. <laughs> no, no, no! You must emphasize Hawaii more. Hawaii. <laughs> I've been I've been singing it all week, much to my wife's chagrin, because well, as you guys all know by now, I can't sing. Dude, you know what? I I I I say sing, dance, just do it if it makes you feel good. This song, yeah. that song, by the way, would be a perfect fit with like "Steal Away" by Robbie Dupree, oh, or Steal you Away, know, oh, such a great song, or you know well, Baker we- Street with. Jerry Rafferty. Would you consider the Heart Ticket uh, opening song, Heart Ticket to Hawaii? Because, by the way, there's another song at the end called Heart Ticket. Uh, this one yep. is Heart Ticket to Hawaii. Would you consider that more of a yacht rock, a yacht rock song? Oh, yeah, no doubt. Okay. No doubt. It's it's totally an homage or a ripoff or whatever you want to call it to that genre of music. Like okay. that beachy kind of chill out. Yeah. Barbados. That's another good one too. <laughs> Thunder Thunder Island is a great song. Oh my god. And I dude, I'm, I I love yacht rock, man. I love all that shit. I love cheesy shit. I love the hard shit and I love the cheesy shit, man. Not if you've lie. never heard Thunder Island, uh, I highly recommend that song. I'll go check it is out it after Thunder this Island? episode. Yeah, Thunder Island by Jay Ferguson. If you look up Thunder Island by Jay Ferguson, first of all, the guy has an amazing mustache. And second of all, that song kicks ass. I'll go check it out after we're done recording, man, because I, I usually have to take some me about an hour and a half to sort of wind down. So I'll go listen well, to that while I'm doing it. For this I... movie, I could see why. And thank you, Aaron. <laughs> and Aaron's uh, like, you guys are so welcome. So I know. Welcome. She loves us. <laughs> Aaron, between Aaron and Crystal, man, you, you guys are the best. Well, thank you both so much. Those two are uh, sitting back right now laughing their asses off because they're like, ha ha, see? We expose these fuckers for what they are. A couple for of the pervs. Sl- for the sleazebag pervs, they are. Donna <laughs> uh, no. reminds her that uh, if it wasn't for the arrangement, she'd be a dead woman. Taryn goes on, at least when I testified against the mob in Vegas, they threatened to kill me quickly. Donna says she didn't make such a bad deal with the witness protection program. Taryn replies, at least I'm in the islands. Uh, there we see a small little time lapse, and Donna is waiting by the Jeep as, as Taryn walks out of the house behind her. She's wearing the exact same outfit as Donna. 
Taryn says, when the feds told me I could come to Hawaii and help you keep your cover, it sounded like paradise, but you never let up. Donna says, the agency expects us to keep fit at all times. Taryn complains, but I'm just a civilian. And Donna replies, it doesn't mean you can't be buff. They both high five at that response. And then Donna drives her Jeep out of there and tears up the grass as she goes. I was like, that's probably a rental house. And did you notice that she just like tears out of there? And I'm like, but the grass. Yeah, I mean, and if if what you were saying earlier is true, if she's a little inebriated during these scenes, it kind of tracks. Oh, my. And And she's actually driving a lot of the times. Oh, my God, you're right. And flying a fucking plane, too, by the way. (laughs) I think think those scenes are authentic. I think that was a big part of this, that they were actually flying. They really were flying, right? I don't don't know, man. I I don't know if anyone should have given her uh, keys to any kind of plane, uh, but, but she's definitely driving the jeep because it's it's a convertible and you can see her and whenever she is driving she is tearing the place up so that does She's tearing the place up and taryn is uh her right leg is just hanging out of the jeep the entire time every scene yeah where i'm like man this is you're not you're not on a bicycle getting stopping your bike with your foot this is like a moving vehicle yo we could have you're gonna, easily ripped it off just like uh death proof right exactly yeah <laughs> just like death proof Hey everybody, Corey here. I just wanted to let you know that we'll be right back after these short messages. Mr. Dookie Flyswatter and the Haunted Mirage! If you took 80s slasher movies and put it in a blender with metal and punk rock, you're gonna get Haunted Garage. Dookie and his crew were almost like making horror movies, horror punk. But the gag is, you're in the splash zone. There was this real fervor at the time about shock rock and how bad it was for the kids. I look over and I see Dookie with his arms on fire. The flashes from the rear end. He got brain surgery live on stage. That was the raw stuff. You walk out of there feeling like you've maybe left the planet for a little while. Their legacy is they were unique. They did things that weren't being done, and they did things that were outside of people's comfort zones. Dookie was always just ahead of his time on that. But it really rocked hard. I mean, he had really good musicians in the band. We didn't want it to be only this deep. We wanted to be this deep. It's Haunted Garage. That's the whole point of taking things too far. He's an icon of the underground exploitational genre. Punk rock god of Hollywood. Gigi Allen, but fun. He's like a friendly vampire. He was L.A.'s Peter Lorre. (laughs) You need somebody in a movie, that's the guy that you want. He puts everything he's got into it. He made his whole life his art. I think that the whole world should know about it. The life and slimes of Dookie Flyswatter and Haunted Garage. Indiegogo campaign out now. DookieDoc.com. D-U-K-E-Y-D-O-C.com. And now, back to the show. Donna and Taryn pull up to the Molokai uh, cargo business and grab two matching suitcases out of the back of the Jeep. Inside the warehouse, we see two workers accidentally put a blanket over another crate that says Live Snake, uh, causing the two workers to sort of load the wrong one, the contaminated one, onto Donna and Taryn's plane. The owner of the Molokai cargo, uh, Dixon, walks out to the runway area to greet Donna and Taryn as their plane is getting loaded. He tells them that they have one set of honeymooners booked to Halawa Valley and one snake. Taryn says there's never been a snake on the island before. Dixon says, well, there is now. 
He tells them it's to be delivered to the Molokai Ranch Wildlife Park. Donna gives Dixon a kiss, of course, and tells them they'll see him soon. At the plane, at the plane, Donna and Tara introduce themselves to the honeymooners. Taryn tells them they are going to love the location. Donna and Taryn do their pre-flight uh, check of the instruments, and the planes take off. So they don't, I would say, of the setup, they don't do the best job of it, but after multiple viewings, you kind of figure it out. So there's two snakes in who that have been delivered to this cargo area. One is not poisonous, and then one is. We never find out what happens to the not poisonous one. I know. I, I was world building. I'm like, was that supposed to go to the zoo? Maybe it was supposed to go to the zoo in, in Oahu. So. But uh, that's what I was thinking. Then second of all, it's fairly accurate that there's really – there are snakes on in Hawaii, but it's there's they're not it's not common is what yeah. it is. Yeah, it's not common. And I'm sure the snakes that are there are probably brought over, I would imagine. Yeah, yeah. And while I was in Hawaii, I heard that um, – I was in the island of Kauai. Uh, red ants, red fire ants were brought over by a celebrity. And I will not share that story here. I'll share it on Patreon. But apparently I was shocked to hear the story that of the celebrity who allegedly brought fire ants to the island inadvertently. And it's caused a major problem over and, there. And now they're actually like what, running rampant and shit? Yeah, they're invasive. They're everywhere. Yeah. Damn. And, yeah, and man, so he, when you hear who this, when you hear who this guy is that did that, you'll be like, "Oh shit! I did not expect that from that dude." Wow. Okay, I'm yep. I'm excited to hear this one too. But I mean, pe- people take it seriously. The whole like, like I think it's Australia too. Like you can't bring certain fruits, certain animals, and stuff into these loca- these these isolated ecosystems. You know, I mean, it's it's a huge fucking thing. It's it's huge. Yeah. So, y- yeah. You know these these sacred places have been trashed already. And they're trying to keep it uh, relatively, you know, for lack of a better term, like pristine and authentic. Yeah. You know, and, and yet it's getting de- uh, destroyed by people who have way too much money and power. Wait till you hear who this guy is. But wow. you only hear that on Patreon. So once they take off, we start seeing some beautiful aerial shots of Hawaii while oh. the amazing Hard Ticket to Hawaii song plays. And, so and this good. Is... And you guys got to listen to every word of this song. It's so bad. It's good. Guys and gals, I'm going to drop it in right here. Molokai cargo warehouse, Dixon sees the caution sign for the contaminated snake knocked over, but can't find the box with the snake itself. 
He then uncovers the box of the snake that was supposed to go to the wildlife park. Dixon confronts his workers about it and realizes that they loaded the wrong snake on Donna and Taryn's plane. I like how quickly he sort of figured it out, you know, because I think a fucking genius to figure that out. No, but I love that. It's like this janky sign on the ground. Yeah. <laughs> and they're yeah. like, hey, where's the real? Saw? Oh, man, we screwed up. Oh, allegedly this like toxic snake, you know, that's kind of needs to be contained. <laughs> and, and of course, it's in like a wooden crate where like, you know, you could stick your fingers in and whatnot. I the was flimsiest. Like, yeah, the flimsiest exactly. crate. Yep. <laughs> Before going to the wildlife park, Donna and Tara make a stop at Hallowa Valley to drop off the honeymooners. They have to hike a little ways, but Donna assures them that it will be worth it. They ask if they, The honeymooners ask if they will be alone on the island, and Donna tells them they will be. Dixon calls Taryn and Donna over the plane's radio to tell them about the dangerous snake, but they are guiding the honeymooners to their camp and aren't at the plane to receive the news. At the beach campsite, Donna tells the couple they will be back to pick them up tomorrow. Donna and Taryn leave the honeymooners to their vacation. Cut to a yacht on the ocean. Mr. Chang is standing on the deck by a remote-controlled helicopter. One of his goons says, This always makes me nervous, Mr. Chang. I'd always rather get them through customs. Mr. Chang replies, The way they watch us? No way. This has always worked. We don't have to worry about customs or the Coast Guard. And the boys are paid nice and clean. The remote-controlled helicopter takes off from the yacht with two small packages on board. And I like that, dude. This is a cool setup, a cool concept. Because, yeah, you don't have to go through customs. They're on the open sea, so, you know, that's not anybody's jurisdiction. And uh, they have, spoiler alert, it's going to be diamonds in, in the little cases, and they're delivering it to the island on, on a little remote control helicopter. Now, how they can actually see where that remote control helicopter goes is obviously the problem here. Um, but seeing as how the movie proposes later that they have pagers that are also phones, Andy Sedaris doesn't really care about technology. And I think nowadays this is actually probably a more viable way to deliver diamonds. Illegally. No, I think what I think what you're saying is that Andy Sedaris is a futurist and he can see into the future. I think you're right. I think you're yeah. fucking right. Look, guys, this is the future. You must understand. This is how we get things now. There will be this company, big warehouse, yeah, with like everything you want from toilet paper to Game Boy game. What's Game Boy? This is 1987. Oh, don't worry, it's coming. I don't get everything and, right all the time, but I'm gonna get this yes. one right. So this warehouse yes, will be like, <laughs> you, you order toilet paper. Say you want toilet paper. You buy it on this thing called a computer, and then this this remote control helicopter delivers you toilet paper. And you know what? Yes. He would be fucking right if he said all of that. Because that is the future we live in. We are living in the Andy Sedaris future. Yes, we call it. We'll call it uh, jungle jungle store. Yeah, we'll call it jungle. How about Amazon? No, no, shitty name. Shitty name. <laughs> jungle <laughs> store is better. <laughs> Cut to, to the two goons, earring and skater, driving dirt bikes on the island. They both have guns, and they are heading somewhere in a hurry. We see and the skaters remote... weighing down that bike. I'm just saying. You mean Earring is? Sorry, Earring, yeah. <laughs> Skater is tiger, fucking Tiger King. If you guys don't know who Tiger King is, you, you should know who Tiger King is. Uh, this guy looks knows. like Tiger King. <laughs> God damn it, where's my skateboard and my boyfriend? We all live through 2020, bro. We all know who Tiger King is. Did we, though? Or is <laughs> did it just we, a fog? Did we really live did through we it? Did we live through it or did we sleep through it? 
Oh, yeah. Yeah, you're not wrong. Uh, we see the remote-controlled helicopter fly over the island and land right by Donna and Taryn are walking. I want that copter, by the way. Yeah, it's me too, rad. dude. Me too. Did you ever have a remote-controlled... Uh, I had a remote-controlled, like, car, but did you ever have, like, a remote-controlled, like, helicopter or plane? No, no. Because I, I feel like... If you're a kid with those things, you have to have a parent kind of help you put yeah. it together. And I didn't. We I had a I went to slot car races. Yep. You know, there was yeah, the too. local uh, hobby shops. Those were fun as hell. But no, I I never. I always wanted one though. Those RC commercials are like, get the new Jeep. It's so cool. And I'm like I can't afford it. Yeah, yeah. I only ever had. I'd rather like, have a. I only ever had like one. I, I never had like. Yeah, I remember in the '80s, like remote control cars were huge. There are all kinds yeah. of different ones and everything, and they, and they even had like remote control like submarines and stuff and boats. Yeah, and I wanted all of that shit. But yeah, that, I think that's an expensive hobby to get into, and I think especially like the remote controlled airplane ones. I think that's a real yeah. expensive hobby. Yeah, because you're using like real motor parts. Yeah. See inside your neighbor's window. <laughs> Peep in on people. It's cool. We're not endorsing this as a peeping tom. The irony is that's that is now what drones do. So you know, it's, oh, it's, of course, it's wild. When I see whenever I see someone with a drone, and no disrespect to people who have drones, I think they're really cool. Whenever I see someone with a drone, though, I'm like, you're totally peeping on people, aren't yeah. you? Yeah. I'm just, this is fun. It's for science. No. (laughs) Really? Why are you at a park and there's, you're lurking. You're lurking, you scummy people. You perv. We're all pervs. You perv. Just be like Andy Sedaris and just fucking own it, man. Just own own it. it. Own it. Make a movie with beautiful women and guns. It's great. (laughs) We, We see Earring and Skater get off their dirt bikes. Donna and Taryn walk over to the helicopter to examine it. Donna says, this is no kid's toy. Just then, the little door opens on the remote-controlled helicopter, and Taryn takes out two little containers. Just then, Earring yells, freeze, while Skater shoots at them. Taryn runs towards the gunman and throws her nunchucks at Skater and hits him in the head, knocking him down. I don't think that's how you use nunchucks, but you know what? I give her props for running towards a guy with a gun and just throwing something at his head, which, you know what? It worked. Um... As, Donna's badass. She don't take no shit. She's badass. You know, well, that was Taryn. Then as as she I mean, does, both. as she does, one of the two little packages sort of falls out of her pocket and gets lost in some grass. Uh, Donna now grabs a throwing star from her boot and hits Hearing in the chest with it, knocking him down as he's like screaming. Aah! But it's like, I mean, it's barely into his skin, you know. The, the uh, overacting is fantastic, though. Oh, across the board, everybody, yeah. guy and girl, everybody overacts. It's amazing. Taryn runs up to Skater and then knees him in the ribs while he's on the ground. Skater gets abused in this movie, by the way. Uh, Donna rips the throwing star out of Earring's chest as he screams, and then our two heroes make a hasty retreat back to their plane. Yeah, it's wild. <laughs> it's a great, it's one of the worst great fight scenes of all time. Every scene in this movie is the worst, greatest of all time. <laughs> Tommy Wiseau would be like, he's watching this going, I, I want to do that. Why can't I do that? Yeah, no. he. I, I think no, Andy Sedaris is, is the king, man. He's the fucking king. Yeah. <laughs> Earring and Skater get to their feet as the Molokai plane flies away above them. The two goons then run to the remote-controlled helicopter as it takes off as well. They both fall to their knees, and Skater says, I dread facing Seth empty-handed. And then we see one of the two cases in the tall grass. 
Oh, Skeeter. Oh, Tiger King. Oh, Tiger King. Cut to Donna and Taryn landing their plane on a grass, sort of grass runway, and sort of pulling up to their house. Donna tells Taryn they need to figure out what just happened, and then Donna says, let's unload and hit the jacuzzi. I do my best thinking there. The two ladies unload the snake box on a dolly and roll it into the the hangar. And, of course, I can't hear the word jacuzzi and not think of jacuzzi from uh, TerraVision. I was hiking in Hawaii, and, you know, I'm with my wife and my son, and we walked past this rock that was covered in algae. And uh, we're like... <laughs> Pointing it out, and I go, "What is this algae?" <laughs> I'm like, oh, "I'm, I'm gonna stop myself. I'm not gonna say anymore." <laughs> oh, or perhaps the sex lubricant. Just taking care of business. <laughs> the coos. Let's go check out the coos. Yeah, I know. I love this because they go into the jacuzzi, and it's like, oh, we, we've got our bottoms on. There was this right. There's this taboo back in the day. You couldn't show bottoms, but you could show tops. Yeah, ex- exactly. And, and yeah, and we'll get to that in a second uh, uh, because yeah, we do have sorry. a scene. Yeah, I jumped ahead. Because we do have a scene at Edie's restaurant. So cut to Edie's restaurant. A blonde actress named Charlotte walks in and immediately gets harassed by Ashley, the slimy maitre d'. Edie rescues her, rescues her from the sleaze ball, only to deliver her to another one, Andy Sedaris. He's playing a greaseball TV director. <laughs> Charlotte, Charlotte, thank goodness you decided to come. Charlotte, I'm not just some fast-talking New York television director. I care for you a great deal. Trust me, Charlotte. And then to which she replies, you practically raped me last night. That's where the conversation should have ended. It should have, because I was like, oh, Harvey Weinstein's in this movie? Yeah. And then he goes on. That was last night, Charlotte. This is today. I care for you, Charlotte. I care for your mind. I don't care about your body anymore. I'm not into that. Just then, a busty, half-naked waitress walks over and asks, may I help you? As the director looks her up and down and says, I'll have a pair of coffee. Charlotte rolls her eyes. I actually thought that was kind of funny. It's funny, but it, it it's so weird because it is a very comical scene. But you guys know that this is the shit Harvey Weinstein was doing. Yeah. To I a mean, T. And that's probably what happened the next day. I'm so sorry I did that. Let me make it up to you by putting you in my movie. Yeah. It's... I think it was, I mean, obviously it was probably more tongue-in-cheek back then, but in a post-Harvey Weinstein world, when she's like, you practically raped me last night, I was like, ooh, that just, that does not play well in 2022 at <laughs> no. all. No. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, different times, guys. This was, guys and gals, this was a different, different time. Of course. Yeah, 87. This is so different back then. Yeah. In another part of the restaurant, uh, the villainous Seth Romero is talking to his beautiful date, uh, actually, it's Rosie from later, but I didn't realize that at the time. Um, side note, fucking love Rosie. I thought she was hot as balls. Agreed. It's too bad this is the only movie that she's fucking done. Edie walks up to him and asks if everything is satisfactory. He says, superb as usual, Edie. He goes back to talking to his date when he sees Earring and Skater walk up to the restaurant and, and intercepts them outside. What are you two doing here? Skater says, now calm down, Mr. Ramiro. We've got some bad news. That's not how you want to start talking to your boss. Nope. Earring says that somebody beat them to the drop and they got away with the stuff. Seth isn't happy to hear this. He asks who they were. Earring says it was a couple of broads. Skater chimes in and says they got away on a cargo plane. Seth asks Molokai Cargo. 
Skater says, yes. Then Seth says, if brains were bird shit, you'd have a clean cage. I'll get someone else to handle them. Get out of here. Seth then signals for the lady he was eating lunch with to come over. It's Rosie. Uh, you can tell she's in shape. <laughs> that's, that's my notes because, yeah, she is. Uh, he tells the woman that he has a job for her. Oh, Seth. He is the worst actor in maybe the entire world. And I almost get the sense, like, I feel like, you know, I feel like in on Friends, like, Joey Tribbiani's character is, like, how pretty but how dumb and, like, how terrible at acting he is. I feel like yeah. he's making, they're making fun of, like, the, this character, this actor, also, like, Jade, you know, and whatnot. But these people exist. Like, this, this actor is real, and he delivers his lines like he does. And they are the worst delivery ever in any movie ever. Yeah. Yeah, it's really bad. I mean, it, it's it's really bad. It, it is. <laughs> it's, so, it bad. it's so bad that he makes everybody else look better. I will say the, uh, the, the Playboy Playmates are the ones who really stand out in the acting department as well. I mean, yeah. Yeah, they are. They are the best actors in the whole movie. Person like aside from them, aside from from Donna and and uh, Taryn, I like Rowdy too. I thought I think he has a lot of charm to him and everything. Oh, but yeah. he well, he's, too, he's he's a beautiful dum dum. He's a beautiful dum dum, but he's a he's a well trained actor. But man, Cynthia Brimhall who plays Edie, she's great too. A lot of fun. A lot of fun. And again, Rosie, whew, she has a brick shit house body, man. It's wild. <laughs> It's a hard ticket to Hawaii. <laughs> yeah, it's a hard ticket to Hawaii. <laughs> Trying to get myself out of this awkward conversation. <laughs> I just see Zach slowly, like, because we're on Zoom. He just, he just head just disappears. He's like, and I'm out, Boom. guys. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm out. <laughs> oh, Did buddy. You see my parachute just exploded behind me. And <laughs> <laughs> you just get pulled away. Red Bull oh. gives you wings. Oh, buddy, here's the scene. Here is the scene. Cut to the Malibu Express, and Rowdy and Jade are sparring on the deck. It quickly devolves into the two men doing terrible Bruce Lee impressions while mock fighting. It's it's bad, dude. It's really bad, and I... But it's also, it's like, you know that like you and your friends used to do it back in the day and everything, but at the same time, you knew that... It was wrong. Like, you knew that you were making fun. But here, Andy Sedaris just puts it on full display, dude. And it is well, it is not kind to the Asian-American community. It's not. And, and this is not defending anyone, including myself at some point, who, who you know said offensive things. It's not defending that behavior at all. But these you see these movies, and they do it, and you're an impressionable young person. And you're like, oh, what's the big deal? You know, you see 16 Candles and you see Long Duck Dong and it's like, and then you start imitating that and because you think it's funny. The media helps perpetuate the stereotype, you know? Yeah. And of course, and then we did not have the tools that we have now to break it down to young people to make to make them aware that this isn't cool, you know? But So back then, before we knew what we know now, we look at this shit and we think, oh, they're just goofing around. It's funny. And then you imitate it. And then it continues and the spiral goes, goes, gets worse and worse and worse. And then, of course, that's when you defend yourself saying, I've got lots of Asian friends or I've got lots of black yeah. friends. And, you know, and the whole 
thing. Um, it was just, again, like you said, and I've said as well, it, it was a different time and, and it's buffoonery. They're idiots. And, um, you know, that's pretty much it. Yeah. And you also got to take it into account, like, I mean, Andy Sedaris, he was like back in 87, he was already old in this movie. You know what I mean? So he also comes from a very different time as well. And you can kind of tell his sense of humor is a bit more crude, uh, obviously. But yeah, yeah, it's not it's not kind. And it also it also makes me hate Jade more. Uh, But again, I don't hate Rowdy. For some reason, I actually I really like that character. And uh, maybe uh, was Ron Moss or Ross Moss, whatever his name is. Uh, yeah. Shit. Ron Moss. Uh, Ron Moss. Ron yeah. Moss. Maybe it's him. Maybe it's him. Maybe it's his beautiful face. You know, I just I I like I like Rowdy. I, I don't I don't dislike Rowdy Ab- Abilene at all. I think Jade is uh, he's fine. I think he's he's not fine. He's just a fine actor uh, for what he does. He's 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 not great at what he does. But, you know, I'm sure he had his ass handed to him in the dojo. Uh, and maybe he learned some respect. Who He's also reading the lines that were written for him. So, uh, you know, he, he's going of with what Andy Sedaris says. Don't worry, it's funny. Yeah, it's funny. And he might be like, I don't know about this, Mr. Sedaris. This isn't something I'd say in the dojo. Don't worry, it's okay. Just make joke. <laughs> and, and you're not wrong. I mean, yeah, the actors are just doing what they're told. So, yeah, dude, you're, you're not wrong. But... I, I still think Jade is a lesser Terry Silver. <laughs> oh, yes. On many levels. <laughs> On many levels. I love that response you gave. Oh, yes. You're like, of course. Why would, that, why would you course. say that? <laughs> Thomasine Griffith for the win. So. Just then, a delivery guy in a moped drives up to the boat and delivers lunch for the boys. Rowdy opens the styrofoam container and finds a letter hidden inside the sandwich. He reads it and says, we've got trouble in paradise, amigo. Then they light the note on fire and put it back in with the sandwich, which is weird because Jade was complaining about being hungry. And even though the note was in there, it's like still it's still an edible sandwich you could eat, you know? That sandwich looked good. I was like, damn, it's turkey on white. That's turkey on white bread. I'll take that shit. I'll, I'll take that shit all day long with some lettuce and some uh, sliced tomato. Yeah, baby. That's some classic shit right there. Hell yeah. Some some mayonnaise and mustard. I use veganaise. Have you ever had veganaise? It's, it's so good. Cut back to the scene that you were excited to talk <laughs> Hard about. Hard ticket to Hawaii. <laughs> I love veganaise. Let's not talk about it anymore. <laughs> the, the scene that you were quick to jump the gun on. Uh, <laughs> and uh, the girls are getting... Oh. Uh, yeah, so... All right. By the way, I'm going to just roll back a little bit. I'm not going to cut anything, but I'm going to say that I... You were right. I think I I'm miss, missed something on my notes here on, on my tablet. Um, but it was the previous scene, and I'm going to go now and go back and finish it out um, with the girls in the Gonna jacuzzi. Go back in time. Go back in time. So, Zach, you were 100% correct. Uh, this scene that I'm about to describe takes place before the one we, we just talked about. Um, and it's uh, the one when they're in the, the jacuzzi. Uh, Taryn hands Donna the remaining the remaining case, so we and we see what's inside. She cuts the seal and finds a small pouch of diamonds inside of it. Taryn says, "No wonder they tried to kill us." To which Donna replies, "We're in big trouble." Taryn asks, "Do you think they know who we are?" Donna looks at her and says, "How many women fly around Malachi in a cargo plane?" 
Taryn making a bad joke says, One, Kimosabi, I'm getting out of here. Donna grabs her by the hand and pulls her back and saying and says, Where do you think you're going where there's no contract out on your life? Taryn asks what they're going to do. Donna says the first step is to report to Rowdy. Taryn agrees and says they also need to call the park and have them pick up the snake. Donna says, let's go, and they get out of the jacuzzi. So, yeah, two points. One, they're just topless in the jacuzzi this whole scene, which is fantastic, but they're not bottomless. And then, yeah, then next is the Malibu Express scene with with Roddy and Jade uh, mock fighting. So, good call. My bad. I apologize for that one, guys. No, it's all good. They're, they're, that, that scene is – there's a lot of extreme close-ups in that scene. I'll leave it at that. And, uh, and yeah, when they're talking about the snake and they're talking about the care for the snake, uh, Taryn has the book, a boa book. But yeah. it is a kid's book on how to yeah. take, like, the history of boa constrictors or something like that. Yeah. It's a, like a children's book that you would get at your local library. Support your local library, by the way. Because, yeah, Dixon hands it to them in, earlier, and he's like, make sure they get the the, the feeding and care manual. And it, it's just a, a colorful, hardbound children's book on boas. And you're like, okay, okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so now so now the 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 malibu express scene happens between rowdy and jade they know there's trouble in paradise cut back uh to donna and taryn's place on malachi the girls are getting ready for bed donna comments on the fact that taryn has a malibu express poster in her room and another and a seven poster and, yep she also has a seven poster as well and then she has another spy themed poster framed and waiting to be hung i couldn't tell what that was but it was also beautifully painted like all the other ones um donna looks at the malibu express poster and comments that they haven't heard from cody since he left the agency and became an actor Taryn asks if Cody and Rowdy are cousins. Donna says, yeah, they're both adorable, but just a little bit flaky, i.e. beautiful dum-dums. <laughs> Taryn then says, tell me the truth about Rowdy. How's his stuff? She says, great. He's got four inches. Taryn says, that's not so hot. Donna says, yes, it is. I'm measuring him from the ground up. The girls laugh, and Donna gives Taryn a weird side noogie thing. Uh, I don't understand her joke. What it like? What is she? She's measuring from the ground up. So, so he's it's gonna. Four, so it's four inches off the ground. So it's from the ground. Yeah, off the ground. Oh, is that it? Like it's four inches off the ground, essentially. Yeah. So it's a gigantic dick. Okay. All right. That wasn't the best joke because I did not get that at all. No, it didn't. It didn't land very well. But at the same time, too, I'm like. This is Andy Sedaris going, don't worry, yeah, that's how I am. <laughs> well hung for the ladies. I mean, my wife. I've been, I'm married to my wife. I'm committed to my wife, right? Right? Yeah. Just make the movie and make some money, fucker. <laughs> yeah, the, the scene is funny. I'm, I, just, I just marked out on the fact that they had a seven poster in Malibu Express. I'm like, this is cool that they're like totally, it's like meta, right, in a way? Yeah, no, I, I dig it. He's creating a a universe. So Malibu Express is connected to this one, but then they I guess they're proposing that they made a movie based on whatever happened in that movie, but it's also in the world of Hard Ticket to Hawaii. It really happened. And then moving forward, I know like Picasso Trigger is a part of things and so I I, I give Andy Sedaris mega props uh for all of this. Yeah. I mean like the idea to even create this kind of stuff um and keep it sort of all connected. It's a really cool idea. 
and we're all in agreement. I, I think what the reason seven is so hard to find is because the Brad Pitt movie probably crushed it, right? Like they're like, no, no, you can't have that name. It, it's us now. Oh yeah, yeah. But again, you can get it uh, the Blu-ray on Kino. So okay. Uh, okay. highly recommend that via okay. Amazon or their own website. Is so seven's the only one that do- isn't put out by Mill Creek, huh? Yeah, I think so. Because was- I think it probably had a different distributor when it yeah. came out in '79. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, it's probably uh, something different. Because I know he took the money that he made from, like, the profits from Malibu Express, and then he made this with it. So I wouldn't be surprised if, if Seven was more had a, a more traditional path, maybe through a studio or something like that, you know? I think so, yeah, yeah. Terrence says she's going to put the diamonds in the freezer. It's After all, it's ice, isn't it? And she winks at Donna, and I, I, I just love Taryn. I think she's great. Uh, we see someone cut the phone line in the house. Then Donna picks up the phone, but gets, you know, no, no response. She doesn't hear the, the, the dial tone. After Taryn puts the diamonds in the freezer, she's attacked by a woman in a mask with nunchucks. Donna doesn't hear because the attacker covers Taryn's mouth. Donna hangs up the phone and yells, Taryn, let's get out of here. Cause you know, she knows something's up. She gets no response. So she looks around the house, but doesn't find Taryn. Just then, a guy in a mask attacks Donna and shoves her against a wall. The attacker asks where the diamonds are. She plays coy with him, and and he pulls out a knife and shows it to her. Don't get smart with me. Now, where are they? Donna says they're in the hangar. The guy grabs her hand and takes her outside to the hangar. Back in the kitchen, Taryn is fighting with her female attacker by the fridge. How did Donna not see them? She has Taryn against a wall and is threatening to hit her with nunchucks, but Taryn won't tell her where the diamonds are. In the hangar, the masked assailant shoves Donna over a table while he looks for the diamonds, but doesn't find them. Donna takes the opportunity to deliver a crushing karate chop to him and knocking him into the contaminated snake box, knocking it over and releasing the reptile inside. Donna makes a break for the house while the guy is on the ground, but he quickly recovers and chases after her. We see the snake slither out of the box and go into like a sewer. Yeah. Well, right? I, yeah, that'll get that in a second. Oh, it's not um, there yet. Yeah. No, it's okay. I, I, I tracked Don't worry. I tracked all the snake's movements, even when it, you know, <laughs> it ends up at the other side of the island and then comes back, you know? Yes. <laughs> in the kitchen, Taryn is trying to hold out, but the female pulls a gun and puts it to her head and asks where the diamonds are again. This time, Taryn says they're in the freezer and is forced to give them to her. Taryn tries to get away, but is chased down by the female goon just as Donna runs back into the house. The female goon points the gun at Donna and tells her to stop while she and Taryn, while she has Taryn in a chokehold. The male goon catches up to Donna and, and grabs her. Taryn yells, she's got the diamonds. The female goon says there is only one box. The male says, if you want to live, they better come up with the other box. Donna says, you won't kill us. We're the only ones that knows where the diamonds are. The goon says, tell us. Or you'll wish you were dead. For release. He's terrible. Chemo is terrible. And it gets, this scene gets better. Outside, we see Seth Ramiro holding his gun and standing by the car. Just then, he sees the snake by the plane. Guys and gals, it's about 30 yards away. And completely (laughs) loses his fucking shit. He starts screaming, oh my god, a snake, go away, go away. And shoots a full clip, but never hits it. 
The goons inside hear the gunshot and release their captives, saying they'll go back to the they'll they'll be back for the other box. When the goons run to the car, the the guy Kimo trips over the drain cover in the yard, knocking it knocking it off the drain. He quickly says he's okay. I guess if I say, I'm okay, and catches up to his female compatriot. Inside, Donna grabs her pistol from beside her bed and runs out yelling, Those bastards! with Taryn in hot pursuit. At the car, Seth is yelling that he can't believe what he just saw. And he's saying, I can't believe what I just saw. I can't believe it. So why? It's almost as if he saw a leprechaun. Donna runs up <laughs> well, to the plane. Well, a mutated snake. <laughs> Donna runs up to the plane. The snake's gone at this point. Takes careful aim. Yells, You son of a bitch! And in... One shot shoots Seth in the face. The female thug pulls him into the car, into the backseat of the car, while the male thug drives away. Donna says, I really lost it, didn't I? But the ever-supportive Taryn says, no, you were great. Our Our heroes then go out to the hangar and discover the snake is gone, and we see it slithering through the grass. Oh, my God, Zach. So much to unpack in this scene. One. Kimo with his so basically the male and the female goons Kimo and Rosie they're wearing you know the stockings over their head it's not a good look for Kimo it makes his eyebrows no. go up even higher and he can't deliver a line to save his life and I think it's made worse by the fact that he's mumbling through those and then on top of it you have Seth who is the villain of the movie completely lose his shit at the sight of a snake, shoot at it and miss, and then get shot in the face himself with one shot by Donna. Bro, what am I supposed to take away from this scene? Well, first of all, you can take away the fact that Donna is kind of like a poor man's Jamie Lee Curtis at this point, where I'm like, (laughs) oh, you're kind of like, she's up on that level. I'm not going to deny it. She's got that kind of uh, scream queen quality uh, about her. Um, and she's definitely vocal fry before vocal fry was even a thing, by the way. <laughs> it's Donna. Uh, and then I, I, I wrote down that Seth, to me, looks like a Henry Silva and John Saxon have, had a love child. Yeah, uh, that's, a, that's good. Know, that's a good one. I see that. Because, yep. yeah, minus the acting chops. I mean, yeah. this scene is, like, gloriously bad, but it, it but there's so much shit going on at once. It's like they packed... 20 minutes into maybe two minutes of the movie. Yeah. It's wild. It's wild. And I mean, we're, we're, we're shitting on it, but at the same time, it's not, it's not bad. I mean, it's so bad that it's good. It's, it's, it is literally the example of something that is so bad that at this point it's charming and good. I think that just the problem was they're trying to pack so much in, you know, uh, uh, thugs trying to get, diamonds from them by cutting the uh, the phone lines to start and that should have been it that should have been just the whole sequence but then they throw the snake in there and they got seth the the leader of all this why would he be there in the first place but they got him in there and it, it just it's like too many things all at once which which is what makes it comical uh if they minused a few things out of that it might have been a little bit more like genuinely good but it's it's a funny ass scene when he gets shot in the face. It's just so dramatic about it, and that's a. Uh, I think I you calling that out made me realize most of the dudes in this movie are terrible shots. It's the women who are great shots. Oh yeah, and so actually, maybe, you know, Sidaris is, is like, oh no 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 no, it's women empowerment movie. Yeah right. 
No, I mean, weirdly, it's it kind of is. Um, I don't know. We're, we're both two white male dudes trying to talk about this. Uh, maybe yeah, we'll talk to, to place hopefully to talk to Aaron about it or something. But yeah, like there is a running gag that Rowdy can't hit anything, and it actually something it's something that persists through the entire film, uh, which I actually enjoy, and that Donna is a good shot. And yeah, she fucking nails Seth right in the face, you know. And yeah, if this scene was played more like not as weird with fucking Seth freaking out. Like, I can't believe what I just saw. Like he's telling these people, he's, he's so excited. Literally. You would think that fucking aliens came down from a UFO, walked out, fingered his butthole and then went away. And he was like, can you, can you fucking believe what just happened? And everyone's like, it's just a fucking snake, dude, you know, but he got shot in the face, but it's, it, but if it was so, if it was normal, it wouldn't be memorable. And this scene is so, so memorable. Isn't it funny, by the way, that when anyone ever says they were abducted, it involves some sort of ass play. So they like rather would admit that they got abducted by aliens than admit that maybe they're doing something that would be, quote unquote, a sinning against the Lord. You know, a little ass play. Yeah, you know, got a little ass play it's in there. It's a hard ticket to, to Hawaii. <laughs> It's not paradise all the time. <laughs> oh, oh, it's not paradise. Oh. The first time wasn't paradise. The second one was a little bit better. It gets hey, better. It gets, to? it gets better as you go along. Uh, cut to Dixon on the phone with someone about Donna's phone being out of order. He tells the person to keep trying. It's a matter of life and death. He hangs up the phone and tries reaching the girls over the plane's radio. Donna By and the Ter- way... Really, really yeah, quick. Yeah. Has he been sitting at that fucking phone for like eight hours? Yeah. He's dedicated to his yeah. job, man. He's trying to track them down and help them out, man. He's I think he wants up. another kiss from Donna is what it is. Can I mean, kiss? I mean. How about a kiss? Of course. <laughs> uh, Donna and Taryn. I just here. want one kiss. What's the big deal? Donna and Taryn hear Dixon in reply. Uh, Dixon tells her to listen carefully. We had a snake delivered here for the Department of Health. Now, that snake has been infected by deadly toxins from cancer-infested rats. Oh, you know that Andy Sedaris was like, this is gold. Gold. <laughs> it's a very dangerous snake. It will kill anybody it comes in contact with. He goes on saying, my loaders made a mistake. You've got the wrong snake. Donna tells Dixon they don't have the snake. It got loose. Dixon tells him to be careful, He'll get and he'll get back to them. He hangs up the radio and then calls the Department of Health while Taryn and Donna go back to the house and secure it. Topless. No, they don't. (laughs) Back in the house, Taryn hands Donna a broken picture of her dad. The glass is cracked from the tussle. Donna looks at it and says, My father was the best agent this government had. He died saving my life. I want to see that backstory. Yeah, it's kind of cool. Yeah. She then says... When I make mistakes like I did tonight, I feel like I'm betraying him. Taryn says, Donna, your dad would be proud of you. You hit that creep in the face with one shot. Not bad. Of course, James Bond would have shot all three. But hey, who's counting? Donna laughs. Right. Then he'd casually stroll in here and jump our bones. To which Taryn replies, yep, me first. Taryn then says, pals, and they do a high five handshake thing. Donna says, let's go to Edie's and call Rowdy. Oh, buddy. (laughs) Well, is this also, maybe it was earlier in the movie, uh, Taryn 
was talking about her love of James Bond. Yeah. And then Donna mentions like which one, which one, and she's like all of them, one at a time or something like that. I'm like, whoa, this is Jesus Christ. Yeah. Yeah. So. Th- there's an ongoing gag. That, <laughs> there's an ongoing gag that uh, that Taryn just like, yeah, loves spy stuff. She loves James Bond. I kind of didn't track too much of that dialogue. The what you're referring to is when they were doing the pre-flight check on on the on the runway and everything. But yeah, there's a lot of James Bond talk in this movie. I think I think Andy Sedaris has the heart on for James Bond, and 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 Taryn yeah. is his mouthpiece for this movie. I would have James Bond pull train on me, yeah? Yeah, it'd be good. Yeah, yeah. Come on, line up. Roger Moore first, because I heard he has a small penis. <laughs> Why do I sound like insult the comic dog or whatever? Well, that makes Terrible. sense, too, because he probably can't, you know, talk about his man crush on, on James Bond, but he can write it coming out of Taron's mouth, you know? Yep. Yep. <laughs> yep. Donna and Taron walk into Edie's restaurant wearing full dresses and their hair is done. Dude, it is 80s up. It is 80s hair, guys and gals. It is wild. <laughs> it's wild. It's great. It's classic 80s. This movie has classic 80s style. Hawaiian style. It does. And I mean, and they look drop dead gorgeous, let's be honest. Like with that that huge those two huge blonde hairs done up the way they are. I mean, they're showstoppers. Yeah, Donna's like a total hair bear 80s. Yeah style and in, in many ways I'm, at first i'm like she kind of looks like paul stanley from kiss with blonde hair because um, she's you know she's kind of like she's kind of manly looking in that way but not in a like i mean and then i mean that in a complimentary way huh <laughs> you, you want me to keep this buddy <laughs> no you know she doesn't it's not that bad she doesn't look like paul stanley but i will say uh well it's sort of sort of i don't know <laughs> Don't it's ruin like my fantasies, bear. man. Don't don't Sorry. ruin my Paul Stanley <laughs> fantasies. <laughs> it's no longer a hard ticket to Hawaii. It's a flaccid ticket to Hawaii. <laughs> uh, of course, Ashley. Pop a little pill and it'll take care of it. <laughs> of course, Ashley, the maitre d', immediately sleezes all over them by saying, I'm going to give you the best seat in the house right here on my face. Donna says, oh, Jesus, is this what it was like for women in the 80s? And I just from from all the guys in the world, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> and ditto. Ditto, guys. I mean, gals. <laughs> Donna says, this why? Is, yeah, but he's is funny. Your, yeah, I mean, it's not terrible, but yeah, it's terrible. He's Donna terrible. says, yeah. why is your nose bigger than your dick? Taryn then says, Ashley. Come back. Uh, that's actually not bad, yeah. Taryn then says, Ashley, you know we love you. And, of course, it's also that era where, like, yeah, the guys could be total sleazebags, but the girls are like, oh, you're so sweet. We still love you. And you know this shit's going on all the time. Yep. Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. Uh, pr- pretty much up until what? The Me Too movement of, like, 2020, essentially. Oh, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Uh, then Donna asks where Edie is. Ashley points them to the private booth in the back of the restaurant. Donna and Taryn pull up a seat next to Edie and order some drinks. Donna tells her they have to talk, and Edie reassures her that no one can hear them. We see a blonde female bartender suspiciously watching them. Donna asks if Edie has heard of anything about some diamonds in connection to Seth Romero. 
Edie reminds her that the agency only uses her as a contact. There's very little they tell her directly. Donna says, I just shot Seth Ramiro in the face. <laughs> Edie's slack-jawed. <laughs> Taryn tells Edie that they need to reach Rowdy, and Edie takes them to her office. As they leave, we see Jimmy John Jackson of the Southern Cable Sports Network walk in and start talking to two football players at a table. He orders a glass of water and pulls out a bag of daily vitamins and supplements. Jimmy John starts talking about each one before he swallows them all at once. Now, I didn't track what he said, but I gotta say, the actor, uh, Wolf, he does a great job of delivering fast lines without stumbling over, like, his tongue and everything. And my understanding is he, he's, he grew up in Germany, so I don't think English is his first language. And he's awesome, dude. I love how he delivers his lines. Yeah, I do too. And the whole time he's talking about his vitamin supplements, I'm like, yeah, that tracks. Yep, that tracks. That's good for you. Yep, yeah. mm-hmm. that's good for you too. Yeah, I'm like, he's, he's totally making sense. And then he's then he says something like uh, he misses soul food or something well, like that. Well, well, then, but then one of the football players gets a milkshake delivered to the table because there's two football players sitting there, but yeah. they're really just big beefy boys. Um, and the milkshake comes, and one of them who has the milkshake says. Man, I sure do love soul food. And then his pal agrees and watches him eat his milkshake with a spoon. And I'm like, that's not soul food. I know. What the fuck? And and I have a feeling those are legit football players, by the way. I have a feeling they are. Um, I have a feeling they were just beefy boys on the beach that they brought in to just say one line. Because they look (laughs) also like (laughs) dum-dums. Well, no, I, I mean, look, I'm sure... I got a feeling they really are, but 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 it is a moment where I'm like, why I miss soul food? How is that soul food? It's a milkshake. And honestly, this nothing really comes back. Like the Jimmy John stuff. Like Jimmy John has a point in the movie, but there's a yeah. couple scenes with Jimmy John that are pointless. This is one of them. It doesn't yeah. go anywhere. No, like supplements don't come into play anywhere else in the movie. No, I mean, this movie probably could have trimmed 10 minutes off and would have been perfectly fine. Yeah. If not better. Yeah, agreed. It could have cut this and Jimmy John's interview later as well, and it would have been, would have probably flowed even better. At the bar, we see the bartender connect a listening device to the phone to hear the conversation the girls are having with Rowdy and Jade. Cut to the Malibu Express, and Rowdy and Jade say they heard that Seth's men took out two Molokai police officers. Jade chimes in and says that the police stumbled on a full-fledged drug operation. Rowdy adds, Seth is definitely playing hardball in your backyard. Donna says, Taryn and I are living proof of that. We see the bartender listening. Rowdy says, you're also our proof that Seth is directly involved. I want both of you to stay with Edie tonight. We'll be on the first flight in the morning. He continues, I want you to go out to Seth's beach house tomorrow and have a look around. Diamonds or no diamonds, you're sure to be on his hit list now. Rowdy tells Edie to stay at the restaurant. It's business as usual, otherwise Seth might suspect something. He finishes the conversation by telling them that they will bring their trunk of toys. Jade picks up the phone and says, Hey, Edie, speaking of toys, I can't wait to see yours. Everyone laughs, and Taryn says, What a stud! 
They hang up the phone, and the bartender disconnects her earpiece from the phone. What a stud because he made a gross remark. It is Jade. I hate Jade. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote down that he's a poor man's Dolph Lundgren, so uh, mm. there you go. Okay, 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 okay. And actually, maybe not a poor man's, just he's a Dolph Lundgren. <laughs> Touche. Touche. <laughs> Listen to our Dark Angel, a.k.a. I Come in Peace, to uh, to get our thoughts on, on Dol- old Dolph, old Dolph and oh. Brian Ben-Ben, who... We love and adore. <laughs> the show stealer versus the show killer? Killer? Yeah, it's not show stopper because that's a good thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, look, guys, come on. Come on. He's not that great of an actor. I love no. I love Dolph, but he's not a great actor. And nope. Jade and Dolph are kind of on the same level. They really are. I would probably say that the reason Dolph was even famous is because he was blonde. And Jade's, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, that's, that's, guys and gals, blonde hair is a thing, you know? The, the whole blonde thing, I never, look, I, obviously I'm not a blonde, but I never got the, like, if the, if you had blonde hair and blue eyes, you were golden. And if you could act a little bit, you're golden in Hollywood back in the day. Look at how many generic type people, like we've talked about, and she's not generic, but I'm talking about the actor from Dead Heat. You know, it was like that, yeah. that cardboard cutout kind of thing. And it is what it is, you know, it's it just was like, well, that, that gave you a little notch in the belt as far as casting was concerned. But, uh, you know, for this one, well, actually both female leads are blonde, so there you go. <laughs> yep, there you go. <laughs> At Seth's place, uh, Rosie is cleaning the wound on his face while Kimo watches. Seth says, how does it look? Uh, <laughs> the guy, j- uh, uh, Kimo says, it just grazed him. A little plastic surgery and you'll be all right. Rosie, the clearly level-headed one, says he needs to see a doctor, but Seth says no. The phone rings, and Kimo answers it. He says it's Michelle from the bar. Seth tells him to take a message. At Edie's, we see Charlotte get up and leave a table where the sleazy director and Jimmy John Jackson are sitting. The director, Andy Sedaris, says to JJJ that, they, that uh, at least they have a couple of ball players they can interview tomorrow. Edie, Donna, and Taryn walk in together after leaving the office, and Edie stops them. She asks Taryn if the sports reporter, Jimmy John Jackson, is a special friend of hers. Taryn says he's the first civilian she met after she got her new identity. He said he was going to call her when he got to town, but their phone isn't working. Ashley brings the busty waitress over from earlier and introduces her to the director. I think that's Patty Cakes. I think. Yeah, that's patty cakes. Okay, okay. Patty cakes. Oh, patty Jesus. cakes. Uh, she it's d- not offensive. I like patty cake. Baker man, yeah. Well, I no. think her name is really Patty in real life. Like, the actress's name is Patty. So, and she's got cakes. So, you know, <laughs> it works. She's got cakes and muffins and all sorts of stuff. <laughs> it's a hard ticket to, to uh, she drops off uh, his, his coffee. Then Ashley says to him, hey, Whitey, you go. She leaves, you know. Ashley says to him, hey, Whitey, you go down on her. You're going to be kissing the back of my head because I'm already going to be there. I think you know what I mean. I was like, how could he not know what you mean? You kind of spelled it out for him. <laughs> e- oh, God. Yeah, I know, I know. Edie walks off with Donna as Taryn walks over and talks to Jimmy John Jackson. She gives him a kiss and says hi to Whitey. 
Hey, Whitey, so bad. you go so down bad. on her, you're going to be kissing the back of my head because I'm already going to be there. I think you know what I mean. We all know what you mean, you asshole. Jesus. <laughs> I'm going to go make a sandwich with peanut butter and jelly, if you know what I mean. <laughs> you're making, you're going to make love? No, I'm making a sandwich. What? Just, no. Fucking Ashley. This, yeah. stuff, this stuff writes itself. You, might, you have to understand. It this does. writes itself. It it's does. so good. It's so good. Look, I sit at typewriter. I close my eyes. I just put my fingers on keys. And it whatever writes, comes out it is what we itself. put in the movie. It writes itself. Look, it writes itself. It's so good. So good. Gold. Freddie Mercury could not write this for Bohemian Rhapsody. What? Do you think this movie's a first draft? Like, do you think there are multiple oh, drafts? It's, it's first draft, right? Out of the gate. Roll. Roll camera. Action. <laughs> and whatever came out, came out. <laughs> It's so hard to get too too high. high. (laughs) What the hell are are all these guys smiling about? (laughs) What are these assholes smiling about? (laughs) Oh, God, so good. Oh, I love Fort Fairlane. (laughs) R.I.P. Gilbert Gilbert Gottfried, Gottfried, man. All right. Now, this is wild. Cut to Taryn and Jimmy John Jackson walking on the beach in their clothes from the night before. <laughs> so the daytime, nighttime shit is really hard to track in this. But uh, I, I tracked, like, the time of day it is. And you'll see. You'll see. I tracked everything. Except for the except for the James Bond dialogue. I was like, no. I was like, I'm not tracking this, no, Taryn. It's not you worth idiot. <laughs> that's, that's the part I literally, I literally wrote that part. That's the thing I wrote down. I know. I'm not going to track that. I know Andy Sedaris is rolling over in his grave because I didn't track the fucking James Bond dialogue. <laughs> oh. Come on, it talks, talks about my love. But this this whole scene has the cheesiest fucking music I've ever heard, ever. It's like yeah, it's like Three's Company, but even cheesier. It's so weird. Um, I'll just briefly the score describe. Is not great. Yeah, it's it, this this one. This part is not great. So. Taryn takes off her dress, and the two of them start making out. Uh, this leads to a sex scene on the beach until sunset. That's that's the entire notes. It's a five-minute scene. It's not very attractive. Taryn is wearing a, a very 80s thong thingy. Um, and, yeah, and music that's playing during this whole scene is horrible. Yeah, it's, it's really, like, not what I would call a love scene. It's yeah. bad. Yeah. I mean, it's it's no from here to eternity, you know, as far as sex scenes on the beach go, you know, it's no Terminator. (laughs) (laughs) James Cameron knows how to fucking make us make a passionate sex scene. Sorry, that wasn't the score. The score for it was the same theme, but just slowed down just a smidge played on piano. Yep. Oh. Dude, it's burned into my memory, my friend. <laughs> but so note that this scene also like it ends on the beach at sunset. OK, cut to a shot of the contaminated snake at night slithering through the grass uh, while ominous music is playing. I say that because I had the subtitles on and it says ominous music. <laughs> Cut back to the beach at sunset with Taryn and Jimmy John Jackson in the cheesy music. Taryn tells tells JJJ that ordinarily she isn't this easy, to which Jimmy replies, I was about to say the same thing. 
She says, you're too much, Jimmy John. He jokingly says he isn't really Jimmy John. He's really a British secret agent. Taryn says, I thought so. You give great secret service. And Jimmy John replies, all in the line of duty, tea and crumpets and like that. Tea and crumpets in like that. That's a direct quote. I don't know what it means. <laughs> then Taryn's beeper goes off, and she talks into it, question mark. <laughs> Donna is on the other end and asks what she's doing. Taryn says she's merely the receptacle for Jimmy John's desires. Oh, Taryn, have some, have some self-worth. Then Donna tells her to come back home. She's been there all night, and they have work to do. I was like, what time is this? Is this dawn then? <laughs> Taryn says she'll be right there and puts the beeper phone down. So, yeah. So, because, yeah, it, it, it was nighttime, daytime. It's The editing is wild in this movie. No, it's it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. No, I'm like Tarantino before Tarantino. I do everything out of sequence. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sure. <Yeah>. Okay. <laughs> we see a small plane land at the local airport. Then we see... <laughs> <laughs> then we see Rowdy and Jade uh, carrying two trunks together as they walk up to the Jeep Edie left for them. I love how they place their trunks on the ground and then get in the Jeep. Like, as if they're going to leave. Who fucking loaded the trunks, you know? The flight attendants, I guess, right? <sighs> Cut to Jade driving the Jeep while Ra- Rowdy rides shotgun. They're driving through Malachi Ranch Wildlife Park. Jade says he's anxious to see Edie because she's awfully fine, unlike his first wife. He then proceeds to say, My first wife used to mow the lawn stark naked. Rowdy asks what his neighbors said. They said I married her for her money. Rowdy Rowdy cracks up laughing. Just then, Jade says, Hang on, Rowdy. We got some nutcase in front of us. We see Skater ride past them going the opposite direction while doing a handstand on his board. Rowdy says he must be smoking some heavy doobies. Dude, that's a, I mean, that's a pretty, he, I mean, he is doing that. The guy who plays Skater is doing a handstand on his skateboard and he goes past them as they're driving. That's impressive. Yeah, Tiger King's no joke. No. Tiger King's a stud. He is. <laughs> Although at one point his he kind of like angles himself like he looks like he's going to go right into their jeep and I oh, know yeah. that that wasn't on purpose. Oh god! <laughs> I was like, oh no. <laughs> uh, Jade and Rowdy keep driving while Skater and Earring meet up at the bottom of the hill. So all right, so just know that Jade and Rowdy are kind of driving up a long hill, like an upward incline. You know, uh, Skater jumps in the back of this car truck thing uh, that Earring is driving. It's like a Subaru car, but the back is converted into a pickup. Yeah, it's like chopped. Yeah. For some reason, there's a blow-up doll in the passenger seat. I mean, why not? Why not? Earring and Skater drive past Jade and Rowdy. Then when they're at the top of the hill, Skater jumps out of the car truck. Earring hands Skater a shotgun, and Skater also grabs the blow-up doll. You gotta take care of your own. We see Skater riding his skateboard down the street at Jade and Rowdy. He's holding the blow-up doll in front of himself and the shotgun sticking out from behind. So was the idea that he was trying to just uh, cover up the fact that he had the shotgun? Sure. Okay. (laughs) 
I literally just put that together. I guess that's what he was doing. Because if you saw him run, like coming from a distance with the shotgun, you'd be like, oh, look, there's an asshole with the shotgun. I will pull over. But you can't really see the shotgun because of the blow-up doll. You're like, no, there's an asshole with a blow-up doll. <laughs> exactly. Which of, clearly is not a threat. Yeah. He's not He's not a thug. He's a pervert. It's okay. Just keep going. <laughs> it's a pervert. He's a fucking pervert. <laughs> it's okay. He's harmless. Yeah. Except for, like, women and small children. Yeah. As they pass by, Skater shoots and hits Jade in the chest, wounding him. He also hits the car, too. I, I kind of didn't track it here, but it comes into play later. It's good, uh, it's good, uh, good uh, makeup effects. Yeah. I mean, he Jade has Special a effects. shot, like, right. He has a heart shot right into his chest, but he's yeah. fine. Don't worry about it. He's Jade. He's Jade. Jade slams on the brakes, and Rowdy asks how he is. Jade says he'll live. Rowdy says, let's get that turkey. I want to bring back turkey, by the way. Do you? Really? (laughs) And he grabs a bazooka from the trunk they were carrying when they got off the plane. Jade punches the Jeep in reverse, and they run right into Skater. He, like, screams and spins around. It's awesome. Yeah, I know. He screams and goes flying in the air with his blow-up doll. While in the air, Rowdy blows him up with the bazooka. He then blows up the blow-up doll. <laughs> Jade says, the bazooka, Rowdy. Rowdy says, it's the only gun I can hit a moving target with. Rowdy puts it back in the trunk, and they drive off to the, off to the hospital to get Jade patched up. Rowdy says, I can't believe that shootout. Jade asks, I wonder what happened to the skateboard. Rowdy says, I think I let it get away. And we see this we see it roll down a hill towards the ocean. And I put R.I.P. Skater. <laughs> as as they drive away, we see we see smoke coming out of the Jeep. And you know what? I gotta give Andy Sedaris props for like literally for actually shooting that. Like shooting the skateboard rolling down the street, you know? That's it's great. I love it. Yeah. And the award for best supporting prop goes to skateboard. <laughs> goes to skateboard. <laughs> Dude, this scene is one of like so. This is the scene that like I I I I taped it off of TV. Like I, you know, held my my phone up and I I taped it and I sent it to Bert and everything. Like this is the perfect like the scene that doesn't have any nudity but perfectly describes what Hard Ticket to Hawaii is. It's fucking insane but amazing at the same time. Absolutely, absolutely. The whole thing is so weird, or not not weird. The whole thing. The whole thing is just so bonkers uh, and and thrown to, at parts. It's like thrown together. Maybe they thought up plots on the spot to carry on the, the script, probably writing the script on the fly at times. Yeah. Who knows? But it, it just they pull it off, though. They pull it off. It's enjoyable. This is an enjoyable movie. I, I you know, I, TNA aside, it, it just it, it's a fun, silly movie to begin with. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. Uh, you know, TNA aside, it, that's, you know, that that's the reason you come to it. But the reason you stay is because the movie is fucking fun from beginning to end. It doesn't slow down. Every scene is batshit insane. Like you would think they would get like one scene just out of pure luck. One scene would be normal, but no scene is normal. Every scene is fucking batshit insane. And that's what makes this movie just pure gold, pure cheesy gold. Totally agree. Hey, everybody. Corey here. I just wanted to let you know that we'll be right back after these short messages. 
la la. I'm Adam. And I'm Corey. And we are the hosts of Cartwright, a Seinfeld podcast. We are breaking down every single episode of Seinfeld as we watch it, reliving this amazing show. That's right. It's a trip down memory lane for all of us 90s kids out there. You can find Cartwright, a Seinfeld podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, and Patreon. La la la. Have you been wondering where's the beef? Well, on our podcast, Throwback Trivia Takedown, you might just find that out, as well as some other things about the 70s, 80s, and 90s. We're a nostalgic-based trivia show that pits two challengers head-to-head in a duel of the decades, with categories ranging from movies, TV and music, to slang, food, and fashion. You're sure to get the best in retro-themed trivia. So strap on your jelly shoes, grab a surge, and walk like an Egyptian to your favorite podcast app and check out Throwback Trivia Takedown. I heard even Mikey likes it. I'm John, and I'm the host of Action Action. Every week, I'm joined by James. hey And Dustin. Hello. And each week, we review, debate, and rank a different action movie. We're creating the ultimate list of action movies. From awful to awesome. So if you want to hear three more white guys with beards talk about action movies. And argue about where they belong on our list. And decide you hate us because we've made fun of your favorite movie. Join us every Tuesday, and you can find us on your favorite podcatcher. And Steven Seagal mm. is a joke. <laughs> and now, back to the show. Cut to the two honeymooners that Donna and Taryn dropped off earlier. The husband is taking awkward pictures of his wife on the beach with, on the beach with a Polaroid camera. It's so awkward. She f- looks awkward. And if you look at her IMDb credits, this is her only movie. She probably was like, I'm never doing this again. Yeah, I have to say, too, like if this movie came out maybe five years later, there would have been more than just a photo shoot, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, true, uh, true. But yeah, she looked really uncomfortable. And it is like one of the few moments in this movie where I'm like, I don't know if that's acting. Yeah, I- I'm with you, man. Unfortunately. And, and, and maybe they were supposed to be a sex scene here and they just they cut it. And I'm fine because I, I felt bad for the girl, to be honest with you. Um, but yeah, while he's taking pictures. The contaminated snake attacks them from the woods, and they scream. So this is a monster movie, too, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, it actually is. It's a monster which, movie. Which is kind of cool. That's kind of fucking neat, man. Yeah. Cut to the hospital, and Jade is walking out of the ER shirtless with a giant fucking bandage on his chest. Like a giant square bandage. <laughs> he tells Rowdy that he has some bad news and some good news. Bad news is, the um, again, quoting this exactly, Bad news is, doctor says I'm going to be sore for a while. Good news is, there's a great-looking nurse in there, and she and she was extremely helpful. How helpful? Well, she kept me in stitches. Rowdy smirks at this one. He didn't quite laugh at this one. He says he's going to make a phone call. But, like, Jade always does this, like, thing where he's, like, he says his line, and he kind of moves his head and then looks at Rowdy for, like, either approval or a laugh. It's just he does so many head motions. Yeah, it's it doesn't even get me singing. I'll just simply say it's a hard ticket to Hawaii. Yeah, that's all this one is, guys. That's all he's going to get for that. Yeah. <laughs> Cut to Edie's restaurant. Edie is uh, talking to a patron in the bar. The phone rings, and the female bartender answers the phone. 
she Michelle, tells right what is michelle isn't it yeah michelle yeah you're right the uh, michelle answers the phone she tells Edie that it's a man named Rowdy, and she puts the she and she put the call to her private line. Edie picks up the phone, and the bartender listens like she did before. Edie tells Rowdy she thought they'd be there by now. He tells her they're at the hospital. The good news the good news is they are fine, but the bad news is the jeep died. Rowdy goes on. I must say the greeting party lacked a little of the aloha spirit. Edie tells them to stay where they are. She'll pick them up. Edie tells the bartender, Michelle, that she's going to step out and have Ashley look after things in the restaurant. Edie walks into the back office, and we see her take off her dress, of course, because she couldn't go out there in the dress she was wearing. Cynthia Brimhall. At the pool, we see the busty waitress, which I guess is is Patty Cakes, uh, uh, you know, who uh, Whitey was, was keeps hitting on, so she's swimming in the pool. Cut back to Edie putting on a pair of pants that Woo! Really emphasize her camel toe. <laughs> it's wild. <laughs> she goes out to her car and drives out of the parking lot of the restaurant. Cut back to the busty waitress getting uh, waitress getting out of the pool. Cut to Michelle, the bartender, calling Rosie and Chemo uh, and telling them to pick her up in five minutes. She goes back to the ladies' locker room and runs into the busty waitress again. I think that's Patty Cakes. Who tells poor Michelle that she's missing her shape, meaning Michelle is missing her shape, and needs to exercise every day to keep her breasts firm. Of course, she's topless when she's saying this. Keep firm, Michelle. Good breasts are a great asset. Michelle, in a thick, su- su- Michelle, in a thick southern accent, says, Thanks, honey. I needed that. <laughs> Once the locker room is clear... Michelle takes off her wig to reveal she's a man. And then Michael takes off his makeup and leaves the locker room. Undercover. That's right. And and, and to be honest with you, too, I I didn't suspect that at first. Yeah. Uh, You know, again, I haven't seen this movie, maybe bits and pieces of it when I was a kid, probably. Um, I did not expect that kind of plot twist. And I was like, well, that's cool. And and. Props to the to Michael. He pulled off uh, playing Michelle fairly well. And props to Andy Sedaris. There's no gay jokes. They don't actually ever make fun of like cross dressing or anything like that. This is taken completely seriously, and I think it's, I think it's fine. I I thought it was actually kind of cool. I liked it. They make Michael one of the deadlier antagonists as well. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Outside the restaurant, a van pulls up with Rosie and Chemo inside. Michael tells them Edie is on her way to the hospital and they can cut her off. We see Edie driving down the road with her convertible top down. The blue van speeds up next to her and forces her off the road. Michael and Rosie jump out out of the side of the van and grab Edie and pull her in. The blue van speeds off with Edie's car sitting there by the side of the road. Cut to Taryn and Donna in bathing suits on the beach. Donna pulls out binoculars, and Taryn has a video camera. It's a great video camera, by the way. It's like a giant yellow Sony, like wa- those waterproof yeah. Walkman mm-hmm. cameras. It's amazing. I'm like, where did this ever exist? I want one of those. Yeah. No, and it's not. And for 87, it's not very big either. Like, it's actually quite, like, handheld. It's really nice. I actually kind of dig it. Yeah, me too. They watch as a girl plays Frisbee on the beach with her dog. 
The same girl starts throwing the frisbee at Shades, who's holding a machine gun and some kind of like, he's got like a walkie-talkie headphone thingy on with a giant antenna, but he's clearly standing guard. And, and we do find out that this is like basically in front of Seth's place. Taryn says, uh, that guard over there is wearing a walkie-talkie as well as a gun. He's, he's got a freaking Uzi. Yeah. He could probably call in an army. Donna notes that he takes his frisbee throwing very seriously. Donna takes the video camera from Taryn to get a better look at Seth's house as a helicopter comes in from a landing. And I actually like how Donna, she's like, how does, how do you zoom in on this? And Taryn's like, it's right here. Just zoom in. And then the actual film camera zooms in. And I was like, that, that was actually pretty good. Yeah, that's cool. I like when, I like when they explain sort of like what you're seeing in, in like or I actually like I like when you sort of hide the movie camera also is at the same time the camera the characters are looking through too. Yeah, yeah. Me yeah, exactly. I don't understand this movie lingo. Action cut. What are these words? What do they <laughs> mean? Caveman lawyer. Yeah. <laughs> I was wondering where you were going with that. In the back of my head, I was like, is she doing unfrozen caveman lawyer? I will never disapprove of an unfrozen caveman lawyer reference. The answer is yes. <laughs> that was prime Phil Hartman, ladies and gentlemen. Hell yeah. What other dead comedians can we reference tonight? <laughs> Dig up. Uh, again, RIP Gilbert Gottfried. Yeah, what a bummer. So, if you want to hear our take on that, listen to Podcasting After Dark, Wrap Up After Dark, coming soon on Patreon for this month. <laughs> so, yeah, so like we were saying, Donna zooms in with the camera, and we see that Seth has Edie captive. And then we now they cut closer to that, you know, away from Donna and Taryn, and Seth says uh, to her, to Edie, I understand you've been sticking your nose in my business. Edie says she doesn't know what he's talking about. Seth tells them to take her in the house. Donna says the guy on the left sure looks familiar, referring to Michael slash Michelle. Taryn says they need to find a phone and get Rowdy and Jade here fast. At the hospital, Rowdy and Jade are just standing there in the parking lot like a <laughs> bunch of doofs. Like they've been there for two hours. Yeah, like literally. The car should be here any minute. <laughs> like, like literally Jade is just like, like a statue. He's just like staring off, you know. Uh, Rowdy's wonder, wondering where Edie is. He's getting worried, so they decide to hitch a ride. By the way, poor Edie. Like, she gets traumatized. Oh, yeah. She's fairly, fairly innocent in this whole thing. She gets a bigger, uh, like, bigger part as these movies continue. But, uh, and obviously so does Taryn. You know, no, she's like part of the, the group. She's no longer a, a, a witness protection thing. Yeah. Yeah, but she does a good job at being the, you know, quote unquote damsel in distress. Yeah. Yeah, no, she she gets traumatized um first by Seth and then later by Jade. So yeah, you know, yeah. she can't really catch a break. <laughs> exactly. Uh as they're driving back, Donna and Taryn spot a house and drive up to it in hopes of using the phone. By the way, uh again, Taryn likes to leave her leg like dangling out of the Jeep. I just want to point that out. Don't let your leg just dangle out of a Jeep, ladies and gentlemen. And again, I'd like to point out that Donna likes to drive on the grass when there's a driveway right next to it. And again, I feel bad for the people who own that house that they rented it from to shoot oh, this. Oh, and this again tracks the backstory. <laughs> yep. Yeah. 
She might have been swigging a little before getting behind the wheel. Guys and gals, I mean, don't drink and drive. Yeah, I'm glad she, I'm glad that you know, ultimately this story has a happy ending, but goddamn, that could have been horribly bad. Yep. While they're walking up to the house, Taryn gives Donna a dime for the phone call. Donna <laughs> says, a dime, Taryn? Yeah, let's go. What's the joke? What the fuck there was that? There is no that? joke. <laughs> But I just wrote down, I'm like, I love Donna Spear. I, love Donna. <laughs> I do, too. I do, too. Oh, God, it's a hard ticket to Hawaii, man. It's a hard <laughs> ticket to Hawaii. <laughs> Inside oh, the man. house, we see it's a sumo wrestling dojo, question mark. I don't know if that's what they're called, but that's what I call it. Uh, and two wrestlers are fighting. Taryn says, let me handle this. Like my favorite British spy, I happen to be fluent in many foreign languages. Oh, my God. I can communicate with people from all walks of life. Then Taryn starts speaking in some kind of bastardized Spanish dialect. It's terrible. The subtitles even say she's speaking gibberish. Gibberish. To the two sumo wrestlers, while Donna just uses the phone behind them. The two wrestlers just stare at her like she's got a third eye. It's embarrassing, first of all. Second of all, this scene didn't need to have happen at all. There was no reason for it whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Again, another three or four minutes could have been trimmed off or two minutes. And go back to the first point. It's embarrassing. It's just embarrassing. It, it, it Again, it's another 80s cliche that we, we fortunately... Well, I, apparently not because I guess uh, there's some stuff in the Moon Knight series that people are starting to get upset about the oh. way the Mandarin dialect is used. Oh, okay. They're like, that's not Mandarin. But, um, so maybe we haven't figured it out yet, Hollywood, but <laughs> it's so embarrassing. It's just like, Oh God, we already, she's quote unquote, the Chrissy from three's company, you know, yeah. like in that kind of role. But second of all, it's like, you don't need to make her like kind of come off like an idiot. Like, Oh, I'm going to make fun of another language. <laughs> this is silly. You know, it's kind of stupid. It, it almost like it reminds me when Kramer on Seinfeld will like speak Italian, but it's not. It's just gibberish. And they're yeah. like, oh, that's, you know, that's Italian. Uh, it's, it's a joke. We're making fun of their language. It's like, well, that's that's their language. You know, like what's where's the joke there? Yeah. And then I guess we all would know that Michael Richards is racist anyway. So there you go. Oh, <laughs> I'm kidding. Oh, am I kidding? Or am I serious? I don't know. We'll just have to ask the man himself. There you go. There you go. You know, my, my ex-wife dated him. Really? No <laughs> yeah. shit. I, that I didn't know. Yeah. I, I know you had a, I know you have a beef with Mark Ruffalo. You guys actually have a real beef. <laughs> no, not necessarily. But, uh, but I didn't know that she also dated Michael Richards. Wow. Wow. Just like BFS with Matthew Perry. Wow. Yeah. So you're Eskimo yeah. brothers with Michael Richards. That is <laughs> wild. That is fucking wild, bro. <laughs> Wow, guys and gals, I'm learning this for the first time on air. That is that is wild. Many layers to that onion. Wow, and go uh, go of course listen to Cartwright Seinfeld podcast that I host. The more you peel me, the more you'll cry. (laughs) Oh, I know, buddy. That I know. That I do know. (laughs) 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 Why the hell are they smiling so much? <laughs> Don oh. Cleveland. Don Cleveland. I love you, Don Cleveland. <laughs> oh. On the phone, Donna is asking Ashley if Rowdy or Jade are at the restaurant. Uh, she says when they show up to send them out to her place. It's urgent. She then asks if the bartender, Michelle, is working. She Then she goes, 
I thought not. Thanks, Ashley. Donna hangs yeah, up. Yeah, right. Like, oh, she, she knows she, them. Like, come on Yeah, no, she, she figures it out. She figures it out. Yeah. Donna hangs up the phone and talks to Taryn. She says, the guy at Seth's house. She says, the guy at Seth's house. I hate the word Seth. I hate the fucking name Seth. <laughs> Seth. Fuck. I'm, I'm going to have to keep this in because it's a joke now. She says, the guy at Seth's house is the bartender at Edie's. I recognize the cigarette in his left hand and his pinky ring. He was put there to spy on Edie. Taryn says, so the girl is a guy and the guy is a plant. Donna adds, that's why Edie's surveillance of Seth wasn't working. Michelle was tipping him off. Donna and Taryn leave the sumo dojo. And this, I like this. That, and, and again, they don't, they don't make, they don't call him gay. They don't like berate him at all for that. To them, it's just he was undercover. And I thought, I think it's cool, man. I think it's cool they did that. Yeah, it's all good. <laughs> it's, it's the one thing this movie does right. <laughs> yeah. Well, when she said, I recognize he had the cigarette, and I'm like, what? And then she says the ring, and I'm like, okay, yeah. that, okay, that's cool. Yeah, because he's not doing some fucking Kaiser Soze thing here, you know what I mean? Like, he's just holding the cigarette like normal. He just happens to be left-handed. Yes. As Donna and Taryn drive away, Donna says they have to pick up the honeymooners, and she's really worried about Edie. At the campsite, Donna and Taryn find the dead bodies of the two honeymooners. This is great. Yeah, the girls are so over the top in this scene. This is it's the most hilarious. This is the most. <laughs> oh, oh my god, Taryn! Oh my god, can you believe it's it's wild. It has to be seen to be believed, but it's the most overacted scene I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, it's it's classic. They also find the Polaroid camera the the husband was using to take the awkward pictures of his wife with. They check the last photo that was stuck in the camera, and as it develops in front of their eyes, they see the snake in the picture. They both like say, "Oh, we gotta get out of here!" And they both like go running, and we see the snake slither in the tall grass as the girls leave the campsite. It was like right by them. It's so great. It's 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 like uh, Larry Cohen, you know, guy directed the stuff yeah. had, had like a leftover prop, and and he's like, "Hey, Larry." Larry, do you have any uh, leftover uh, props from movie you make? Like, cue the winged serpent? From, from cue Larry the winged like, serpent? <laughs> Larry's like, I, I don't know. And then he asks his son, son, uh, you remember that He-Man toy you are playing with? Yeah. Can I have it? Okay. Yeah. Uh, Andy, I got something for you. Oh, you're the best. You're the best. <laughs> Click. Uh I remember that playset, by the way, with the the fake snake and everything, and yeah, you know, and I remember the uh, what was it? it was Snake Mountain where it had the voice thing you could talk into and whatnot. Oh man, He Man had the best playsets ever. Bodie's got that still. He's got the Snake Mountain that and it works. Oh cool. But the but but the snake for that play the 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 horde one, uh, it was notorious for apparently falling apart, oh. like, you know, over time, just oh. the plastic eroding. So kind of like uh, the snake in this movie. <laughs> That's right. I had um I had the slime pit. Uh, uh you know, oh yeah. Pro, pro tip: don't ever put Moss Man in the slime pit. <laughs> in another scene that could probably been dropped, but I also still kind of love it. Cut to a newscast being filmed at E's restaurant, and it's hosted by Jimmy John Jackson. He's covering the pro football meetings, the quote unquote pro football meetings. And is interviewing two players from the Dallas Steers, Don Merriman and Billy Blue Shoes Marvis. 
Love both of those names. <laughs> Jimmy John asks Don Merriman what he said to his teammates in the huddle before a big play they made last year. Don says, all I said was, in words go deep and white guys keep them out if you can on two. Of course, he doesn't say N words. He says the actual words. Yep. To which Blue Shoes replies, Jimmy, this motherfucker is crazy, but he sure can throw. Then he looks to the camera for approval because Blue Shoes looks at the camera all the fucking time. <laughs> Jimmy John signs off, then slams his head against the table, and everybody laughs. Because, of course, it's a live broadcast, and, you know, they just said the N word and motherfucker. Ashley comes running up to give JJ shit and says, your future is behind you, baby. Fucking Ashley just rolls around being a giant piece of shit at all points in time. Always. Then he fucking high fives the football players. (laughs) Andy Sedaris is the TV director, comes running in, acting very dramatic and saying their careers are over. But what was the point of that scene, though, for real? There's no point in that scene. I guess it's to give Triple J a little bit more uh, depth to his character, but it's kind of a, it's a meaningless scene. You know, 100%. I, I, my, my, I have this feeling these dudes are – the reason I think these dudes are, like, legit NFL guys or, like, maybe they're the second string or something, they're filming this movie, and the Pro Bowl, the Pro Bowl was probably in town, and these dudes just rolled up, and they're like, hey, you know, we'll get you some drinks – if you want to do like two lines in a movie, would you do that? And just make something up on the spot. And, and whatever you do, don't look at the camera, right? Blue shoes. Don't look at the fucking camera, right? Blue shoes. <laughs> and blue shoes is like, can I get another blue Hawaiian? Yeah, please. Can I get exactly? And, then, and Andy's like, whatever they want, give it to them. I don't care. They're NFL big. You know, we can market this. No, you can't. From the Dallas Steers. By the way, Dallas Steers, kind of cool name. Yeah, actually, I agree. I do agree with that. Outside, we see Rowdy and Jade arrive at the restaurant carrying their trunks of weapons. Uh, Which is so funny because I feel like they you know, they hoofed it all the way over there. Yeah. But they didn't. <laughs> Ashley greets them at the door. When Rowdy asks him where Edie is, Ashley says he hasn't seen her since he got in today. He then tells them Donna called and it's urgent that they have to get out to her place. Rowdy says, Ashley, my friend, I'm going to steal your car. I love that. I love that line. Yeah, I do too. (laughs) He takes the keys. Then Ashley says, a little petrol won't hurt that car either. Back inside, Andy Sedaris runs up to Jimmy John with good news. They lost the satellite feed during the interview. That means they still have their jobs. Whitey, you know, Andy Sedaris, tells JJ that he has to go interview a female golfer by the name of Muffy Fremont. But J.J. says, no, Whitey, she's so dumb. She went home early to study for her pap test. Oh, my God. And then literally the scene ends with just, like, Whitey, a.k.a. Andy Sedaris, just, like, hanging his head down, like, as the punctuation. For her pap test? Come on. It's, like, it's bad. Guys. Folks. <laughs> Folks. Oh, this is funny. It writes itself. See? It writes itself. It writes itself. It really does. Andy, it really does write itself, doesn't it? <laughs> and no dickhead like Ashley is going to say petrol, by the way. No. Petrol? No. No, no that, that that reminds me of something out of, like, Mad Max, you know? They, it's in, like in British. Australia. It's the British. Yeah. Yeah. I remember 
BP. Remember BP? I think they're out of business now. BP, yeah. that gas company, yeah. fuel company. They had some oil spill and killed like millions of wildlife probably. Uh, yeah, that whole thing was like petrol. We're bringing petrol to America. People are like, oh, is that a new kind of gas? <laughs> no, it's fucking gas, it's you idiots. Just gas. Oh, but it sounds fancy. Can I get some? <laughs> sure. We're going to charge you two extra dollars for it. I don't care. It's fancy. Yeah, BP always was a bit more expensive, wasn't it? Yeah, because it was good. It was gooder gas. Gooder gas. It was gooder get, gas. Get her done. Get her yeah, done. but does he talk fancy? No commercials. What do I sound like, Roscoe P. Coltrane? Uh, I love me some Roscoe P. Coltrane. I grew up on Dukes of Hazard, my friend. I grew Dude. up on that shit. <laughs> there was on their plane ride back from Hawaii. There was a guy in the plane who had a T-shirt on and said Cooter's Garage. Oh was no! Like, I want that shit. Oh my fucking god! Are you serious? <laughs> That's fucking awesome. That yeah, is fucking I, I, awesome. I should have asked him where I, where he got it. I'm sure you can, you know, search it. Yeah. Wow, that's Cooter's cool. Yeah. Garage. Woo! Crazy Cooter coming at you sideways. <laughs> oh, fucking love Crazy Cooter. Love Bo and Luke Duke. Fucking love Roscoe P. Train, baby. Hell yeah. Stars and bars. Nope. Don't like that. Nope. Nope. Backtrack. Backtrack. It's a hard ticket to Hawaii. I love it, dude. I love that we're using the song to cover our asses. <laughs> oh, oh. Oh, so good. And again, thank you, Aaron. Thank you so much. This movie, Aaron. Fantastic. Whatever, whatever positive or more to the point, negative feedback we get, it's all on you. So thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, cut to Donna's place at night. Outside, we see the snake slither towards the open drain thingy cover thingy that chemo fucking chemo tripped over the other night i seen those in hawaii i've seen those so okay. i'm i saw one the other day actually after i saw this movie i saw one out at a, one, a shopping center i'm like oh those are that's a real kind of drainage thing okay cool with like the bucket in there or whatever and he tripped over it and he quickly got up and said i'm okay I did, and then someone threw a frisbee at me. <laughs> there you go, with razors. Yes. Inside the house, Rowdy, Jade, and Taryn are cleaning and prepping their weapons while Donna is on the phone. She says to the other person on the line, I fixed the wire myself with tools. No, Dixon. I've Oh, so she's talking to Dixon. And then I love this because he ripped it off from aliens. He, she goes, no, Dixon. I have never been mistaken for a man. Have you? And then she laughs and hangs up. It's like... Okay, so we're just directly stealing lines from aliens at this point. Pretty much, and that kind of tracks from what I said in... Well, yeah, never mind. (laughs) Outside, we see the snake go into the drain. Now, keep in mind, the snake was just down by the beach killing the honeymooners, you know, about probably earlier in the day. So it came all... It followed the plane all the way back. It's a smart smart snake. It is. You know what? It might be. You know what? I'll I'll give it that. I'll give it that. Donna tells the gang that the health department hasn't found the snake yet, but according to their calculations, the snake's own toxins will kill it within the next 36 hours. Easy out. Easy out. (laughs) But it won't be that easy. Nope. At Seth's house, God damn it, I hate the word Seth. Suffer and thuckatath. Suffer and thuckatath. At Seth's house. (laughs) At Seth's house. Edie is tied up, and Seth, Earring, and Chemo are standing around her. Seth says that people who cross him have a bad habit of disappearing. Then he asks forcefully where the diamonds are. 
Edie says she doesn't know. And she doesn't know, guys. She doesn't. She, actually, she doesn't know shit. She really doesn't. Back at Donna's house, Rowdy says he has a plan to rescue Edie, and Dawn is the best time to do it. He asks to look at the footage Donna shot, and she says it's in her office. Jade tells Rowdy to look at the tape while he keeps getting the weapons ready and fills Taryn in on what's expected of her. Donna says, Taryn, you're a civilian. You don't have to do this. Taryn says that she doesn't let her friends down. She's in. Donna smiles and nods, then takes Rowdy into the office to look at the footage. At Seth's house, fuck. At Seth's house, Seth says that Edie needs an attitude adjustment, and Rosie is real good at that. Back at Donna's house, Taryn loads an Uzi and then asks Jade if he wants a drink. He says vodka, and she says, oh, you want a martini? But Jade says, just hand me the bottle and a lemon peel. Oh, God. He says as he holds the bottle, this is the way I like my martini. Vodka. Medium dry, lemon peel, shaken, not stirred. He pops the lemon peel in his mouth, and he shakes the bottle, then takes a swig. He says, what do you think? Taryn says, it works for her. Spies should do their own thing. You're Charlie Chan, right? He says, see, si, senorita, and hands her the bottle. Oh, God. So you're Charlie Chan, right? What, what does that mean? I mean, this follows up with her doing, like, you know, a bad Spanish thing earlier, like speaking Spanish to sumo wrestlers. Is she like confusing like Spanish, the, the Spanish language with uh, Asian people? Is that what's going on here? Whatever it is, it's horrible and it's racist. It's what it is. <laughs> it, ultimately, it's just racist. Yeah, Guys, it's just gals- racist. It's racist. And it's fucking stupid. Like and it perpetuates so many things, you know, and, and it's I don't know. I mean. And Jade's yeah, the slam. fucking worst at all points in time. Yeah, uh, Dolph Lundgren, not cheap Dolph Lundgren, but Dolph, uh, brunette Dolph Lundgren yeah, there you is, go. you know, downing vodka. And, like, come on. That's just – clearly they're not supposed to link up, you know? Yeah. But it, I, I just – I don't know. That scene really bugged me. Any scene that involves alcohol really bugs me because I'm like, what's going on behind the scenes too? There's some shady shit going on behind the scenes. And, and you can tell – that wasn't water, like, put into a vodka bottle. Like, that was vodka. Like, he, he yeah. just, they were like, no, no, we're just, just drink the vodka, you know? No, it's just, yeah. I mean, look, again, like you said, if 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 uh, if Andy Sedaris was helping out Donna Spear by taking her to, you know, rehab or whatever, and who knows what sort of another other enabling things were going on on set. Yeah. Who knows? Is the 80s some wacky shit. Yeah, dude. Yeah, dude. Yeah. I could have had Dolph Lundgren, but I settled for this guy. What do you say your name was? My name? No, I just called you Jade. But isn't Jade? No, no, no. You're, you're Jade. You're Shut Jade up and now. Act. <laughs> Shut up and look pretty, okay? Drink, drink, drink. I'm not enabling. Oh, speaking of pretty, low-key, buddy. Rosie, my man. So at Seth's house, Rosie does like a sexy intimidation dance with nunchucks or something. I don't know if this is for Edie's benefit or, or who, but fuck, bro. She has a fucking 
Oh my god, she's fucking banging body, man, and she's fucking brick shit house thick too. T H I C C all muscle, but like that the perfect amount. Rosie, woo, yeah. Well, he does this in his movies in his future installments of like, like uh, muscle bound women and men. In fact, he had a former wrestler, uh, Buff Bagwell, this guy. <laughs> In, in one of his movies and uh you know when wrestlers would be in a movie they would be like hulk hogan's and no holds barred yeah. and ultimate warriors and this this low budget movie and then they're like um mm-hmm, no we're not going to mention the movie buff bagwell is going to be in because it's not for kids <laughs> i i like rosie better than who was it in skin deep like zap or somebody from yeah. from who was it zap yeah from so. from american gladiators i i like rosie better i she only. This is her only movie. I think she could have had a career, dude. She's a female bodybuilder. Yeah. In Donna's office, she shows Rowdy the video they shot of Shades and the girl playing frisbee at the beach. She tells him they play frisbee every day, and Rowdy says he can use that. Rowdy tells Donna that the guard's name is Shades. The agency has a file on him. Roddy says he's the one that pulled the trigger on the Malachi policeman. Hold on. I, I, I'm a police Sorry. Man. Yeah, I, I fucked that up. Yeah. No, you should keep that. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> okay, I'll keep it. I'll keep it. For you, I'll keep it. And then the policeman men? The policeman men. And but then the question is, how the fuck do they know? Like, how they know who pulled the trigger on it when, you know, the bodies were never recovered? They don't know, dude. Exactly. It happened, like, the same day they were coming down there. They didn't know. <laughs> I do... I do Got the new idea. Who cares? Tarantino did this. I do love how Donna starts unbuttoning Rowdy's shirt and asks, did you know what, what was happening here when you asked me to stay in Honolulu? Rowdy starts unbuttoning her shirt and says, yeah. To which Donna replies, yeah. you can't control my life. Rowdy says, I don't want to control your life. All I want to do is suck the polish off of your toes. They kiss. Oh, heart. <laughs> At Seth's house, Rosie walks up to Edie, and I do love the look on Edie's face. I do think that's legitimate. Like, she, her, her jaw, like, falls open when she sees Rosie. You know, she's like, what the fuck? Yeah, I think it is authentic. I do, I do too. Rosie tells Seth that it's 7 o'clock and Mr. Chang will be expecting a call. Seth tells Rosie to do whatever it takes to make Edie talk. Then he leaves. Rosie tells Kimo and Earring to leave, too, and they do. Rosie then yanks on the rope and pulls Edie to her feet, then punches her in the gut as the camera cuts while Edie is like sort of screaming. I was like, oh my God. And it cuts, oh God, cuts to Rowdy moaning as Donna gives him what looks like a tit job. We see shots of Jade and Taryn laughing cut between Rowdy's moans. Taryn says she'll go turn up the stereo. In the office, Rowdy tells Donna she's the greatest. I mean, she gave him a tit. I mean, that's what it was, right? It was a tit job, but wasn't she, it? I'm assuming that's your. I'm assuming that you're right, but at the same time, she's just laying there like a dead fish. She she's is not and moving, he, and he's moaning. And but her head isn't like in her. Like her boobs are by his penis, so that's why I assume that that's what's <laughs> happening. It's such a weird, uncomfortable. It's yeah. kind of a comfortable scene. Yeah. Yeah, it's very uncomfortable. It's not not sexy. It's very <laughs> uncomfortable. Yep. In the office, Rowdy tells Donna she's the greatest. She tells him to keep it down, but he replies, "No, I like it like that." They make love in Donna's office, and this this sex scene, not very attractive either. Just like the one on the beach, no. neither of them are very sexy or erotic. 
I choreograph every single scene in this movie. And then it cut to his ex-wife. Yeah, yep. he's not good in bed. Yeah, yeah. And he <laughs> sucks in bed. <laughs> if this was like... You know yeah, what, dude? Like, uh, you know what would be funny is like waiting for Guffman, best in show, mockumentary yeah. style, but yeah. on like... Andy Sedaris. Yeah, no, no, because I, I I picture that. Like, he's saying, no, oh, and then literally, like, slam cut, you know, to his wife in a different, you know, interview session, and she's like, yeah, he's terrible in bed. So, and that's why he, <laughs> yeah, I love that. Good idea. Good Dude, life. that would be funny. Really <laughs> yeah. funny. Uh, afterwards, Don asks Rowdy how he feels, and he says, one man's dream is another man's lunch. To which she replies, <laughs> you son of a bitch. And they kiss. So, so is she his lunch? Is that what he means? I, I mean, is he is he supposed to be a dick? Is that what's going on here? Like, one man's a, dream and another man's lunch. I don't. Sadly, I don't think that was supposed to be a dickish comment. I thought. I think Andy Sedaris thinks that that was funny. It makes no sense, and it doesn't sound great. One man's dream and is, is another man's. Another man taking a dump in a toilet. How about that? <laughs> sure, sure. But then, but the question is like, but then what is she? Is she his dream or is she his lunch? Yeah, exactly. And I'm like, poor. Well, what? yep, yep, exactly. I know, I know, buddy. I know. It's a hard ticket to. It's a hard ticket to. I'm like, I'm uncomfortable with this discussion. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're digging ourselves into a grave. <laughs> you made me uh, start. Aaron, it's all your fault, Aaron. You know, Aaron, Aaron, you want to be in my next movie? It's gonna be good. Yeah, we'll shoot it in. Uh, you know, the keys. <laughs> Donna and Rowdy meet back up with Jade and Taryn in the living room. Jade says that must have Awkward. been some kind of video, and Rowdy says we stopped for a bite to eat. And Donna hits him in the stomach, and everybody laughs. Taryn says, you shouldn't chew your food so loud. And she cracks up. (laughs) At Seth's house, he's on the phone with Mr. (laughs) Chang, who has a muscly goon behind him, cracking his knuckles the entire scene. And I just want to slightly, I want to interrupt you really quick and and just point out one thing, because I don't think we mentioned it. Mr. Chang is a white guy, British white guy. This gets... This gets fixed or explained in a minute. It does. It gets explained in the last three minutes of the movie. Yeah. So that being said, up until that point, I'm like, this is an interesting choice, Mr. (laughs) Chang. And it's clearly this white British guy. Yeah. And I'm like, where are we going with this? Sumo wrestler speaking Spanish. Uh, Charlie Chan reference, but he's doing like a British. I don't know. I mean, what is going on here? This is this is what is going on when all these scenes are being fig, fig, figured out. This is Andy. <laughs> oh, it's a great scene. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was going to say, lots of cocaine, my friend. Lots of cocaine. I can only assume. I can only assume. Don't worry. We have rehab van down the street for you. It's okay. <laughs> and, and the morgue. We have a, also an ambulance to take you to the morgue if you die. Yeah, exactly. Okay. We got it all figured out. <laughs> and something to cover it up with. <laughs> we love you. We love you. <sighs> Mr. Chang says to Seth, I trust you received your payment. We need another shipment. Last time your cur- courier came up a few kilos short. 
Seth says he'll correct that or he'll take his hand home in a bag. Oh, the dialogue's so clunky. Mr. Chang. Oh, but he's also the, he, he's the, he's the, this is the birth of Cobra Kai. I'm just going to say. That, there you go. There you go. Mr. Chang tells Seth that no one must interfere with their plans. Seth says the agents are everywhere. To which Mr. Chang replies, have no mercy. Kill them all. And they hang up. No mercy. Okay, so we're referencing marijuana as kilos. Is that what we're referencing? No, I think that's cocaine. Well, yeah, I guess. No, you're right. Because they're, yeah, yeah, I guess it's kilo of marijuana. Up to this point, there's never been a reference to cocaine. Yeah, no, no, you're 100% right. Yeah, they're talking about, they're talking about marijuana. So I guess. Kilos of marijuana? Uh, Okay. I've never heard that. I mean, I watch Narcos. They never reference no, kilos. No, they're like ounces and grams and eighths. I mean, because I smoke all the time. So that's how I know them, but not kilos. But okay. Yeah, good good point, buddy. I didn't even fucking put that together. Good fucking point. So yeah, that. Okay. And then the fact that, what, does Seth get paid in diamonds? Is yeah. That, what, is that, is yeah, that I guess so. So like, they're, they must be delivering a massive amount of weed in order to be getting paid in diamonds. This weed must turn you into a fucking altered beast it turns you into a skateboarder that can uh do a handstand to go down because he's smoking a bunch of doobies according to rowdy who clearly has never smoked a doobie in his life wouldn't that be funny if they cut the skateboard at like uh, i don't know margaritaville with like sit it propped up in a chair and two women (laughs) on either side of him and there's a there's a there's a big punch drink you know with a straw (laughs) going into the wheel (laughs) it's skateboards living his best life now that skater is dead and he's just he's on his own yeah dude and like a young tony hawk comes in he's like hey you're so cool skateboard bro i am on board for the skateboard story fully man i am down for that one (laughs) if if uh steven kostansky if you're listening to this please make skateboard story please do Please. please do or if put they, it in Psycho Gorman Part 2. If they could make rubber into a movie, then uh, you can make skateboard into a movie. Clearly. But, but, but it's, not a, it's not a horror movie. It'll be a positive, uplifting film. <laughs> a kid's movie. Yeah, yeah. Now that he's broken free from skateboard. <laughs> from, from skater. The fucking is his. <laughs> Jesus. And then everybody would speak for him. They're like, we know, we know you're, you, we know you were caught up with bad people back in the day, but, skateboard. But we know you're trying to be an upstanding citizen. You're good now, though. You're good now. <laughs> skateboard, I trusted you. Now that skater's been exploded in the air. <laughs> back at Donna's house, we see, uh, we get a montage of the gang loading their weapons. Rowdy has a frisbee with razor blades on it. And then he says, tomorrow we kick ass and take names. Hey, everybody. Corey here. I just wanted to let you know that we'll be right back after these short messages. Hey, everybody. I'm Tim. And I'm Dean. And we're the hosts of Talking Back. We're a retro-based podcast covering movies, comics, video games, and more. Check us out every Monday where we hit the rewind button and dig into some of our favorite content from the past. We like to keep things fun, lighthearted, and informative. Do you feel like you need more nostalgia in your life? Then check out Talking Back. We're available everywhere podcasts are found. Hello everybody, I'm Adam. I'm John. And every week we are giving you a blast from our past. 
We are the podcast that brings you full-on movie breakdowns, TV show reviews, album reviews, top tens, and more, all from the things of our nostalgic past. So please join us every single week on the Blast From Our Past podcast. You can find us on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, however you listen to podcasts, you can find us, and we would love to have you take a trip with us to the land of nostalgia. And now, back to the show. Fade into a beautiful Hawaiian sunrise. We see Rowdy get out of the water in a Speedo, and he's holding a surfboard with a bag attached to it. Hey, man, Rowdy's a good-looking dude. I'm not going to hate on it, man. He looks good in that Speedo. I'm going to give him props for that. Damn, I wish I could rock a Speedo like that. Yeah, dude. Me too, man. Me too. I'm not going to take nothing away from Rowdy. Uh, he hides the surfboard in the grass uh, and puts on a shirt and takes the, the duffel bag uh, that he has a gun in, and it's like the booby trap frisbee's in it as well. Uh, Shades is watching the girl throw a frisbee around and signals for her to come over. Rowdy catches up with the frisbee girl, and <laughs> real quick, did you notice the little jump when he jumps down the, the hill when Rowdy kind of <laughs> he kind of does his like, hey, he got a little, <laughs> little jump. I thought you were going to freeze me in that. I thought it was going to be a free shot. <laughs> Not going to lie, it was kind of cute. I was like, yeah. I kind of like that. Uh, so Rowdy catches up with the Frisbee girl and asks her if it's, uh, if it's okay if he runs along the beach with her. She says, sure. Uh, they run up to where Shades is standing guard, and he asks, hey, Colleen, who's that turkey with you? Again, turkey. I love turkey. it. <laughs> and it then- would have been funny if, Ro- if Rowdy went, come on, come on, come on. <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh man that's good buddy that was good that got me thank you thank you <laughs> uh, she she says he's just a thrower <laughs> shade <laughs> says to rowdy sorry buster you aren't allowed here take off my god buster and turkey <laughs> rowdy tells him to lighten up they're just throwing <laughs> shades wants to see what rowdy is made of so he tells him to throw the frisbee Shades catches it and whips it under his leg and then throws it back. He seems to approve since he turns around and puts his gun and headset walkie-talkie on the ground. This is so good, though, because they're like, Shades is really trying hard to throw some, like, championship frisbee throwing action. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. While Shades' back is turned, Rowdy tells Colleen to get lost. He says, she says, what do you mean? And Rowdy shows her the gun in his bag. He tells her he means it and throws her frisbee down the beach like she's a dog. <laughs> As she is running after it, Rowdy says, Colleen. She turns around, says, you've got a great ass. To which she replies, so do you, pilgrim, and runs off. Fucking Colleen, bro. She can hold her own, man. <laughs> I love it. I do, too. Part two with too. Colleen. <laughs> I do, too. So do you, pilgrim. <laughs> Oh, Shades turns back around, ready to throw the Frisbee with Rowdy. They throw a regular one back and forth. Then Rowdy, not so slyly, swaps it out for the one with the razors. They, sorry, he swaps out the like red Frisbee yeah. or orange one with a black Frisbee. Yeah. And then he says to himself, this is for the Malachi police. And he throws it in slow motion at Shades. Shades holds out his hand to catch the frisbee, 
and the razor blades cut off his fingers and then embeds itself into his neck. Shades goes down gurgling, and then Rowdy makes a hand-pumping motion and runs off while Shades dies choking on his own blood. You know, we don't usually see the heroes in our movies dispatch people so gruesomely, but Shades Shades died pretty fucking horribly. He sure did. He sure did. He, he, he did not go down like... Uh... He did not go down gently like most side killers do typically, you know, yeah. the hands of a good guy. He went down hard. He went down with a hard ticket to hell. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's a hard Where's Vince ticket McMahon? to hell. Shades, you're fired. Back at his hidden surfboard, Rowdy has changed into pants and a tank top. He calls the gang on his own personal beeper phone thingy. That is my notes exactly. Rowdy tells them to come down to the beach. He grabs his gun and runs off. Cut to Donna flying a personal hang glider moped thing. I don't know what they're called, but I've seen them before where they're kind of like a hang glider, but they have wheels and a motor and like kind of a propeller, right? Yeah, a.k.a. I want one. Oh, yeah. Oh, for sure. I think it's fucking awesome. Uh, yeah. she and that's, it looks like it's really her flying this thing. Yeah, no, I'm, I agree with you. It, it does. It does. Uh, she flies overhead while Rowdy jumps into a Jeep. Taryn is driving and Jade is riding in the back while holding the bazooka. The shot is very well coordinated because Donna flies right over the Jeep, like perfectly in frame. I actually yeah. rewound it. And I was like, this scene, this one particular shot is very well done because everyone hits their marks and a million things could have gone wrong, but they do. Did you notice that? I was like, wow. Yeah. Yeah. It was really impressive. Yeah. But again, there's a lot, there's a lot of goodness put into this movie. You know, they're really trying to, we're really trying to make a movie here, guys. <laughs> I mean, I always give them credit. They're shooting on film. You know, it's not like in the nineties where everything becomes fucking, you know, video and shit. Like at least they're still shooting on film here, you know? Yeah. I mean, this is this is like, you know, something that Jack Horner would make in uh, in, uh, in Boogie Nights. Boogie Nights, exactly. This is a real thing. <laughs> I'm an actor. I'm an actor. Okay. <laughs> you make pornography, sir. I do not make pornography. I'm an actor. I'm an a- I'm an actor. I, Let's just go, okay? Let's just go. I love Boogie Nights. We God. saw you and I saw that. Uh, what was it on the 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 it was like a rooftop on top of a downtown LA. Yeah, downtown yeah. LA on top of a parking garage. It was really cool. That was that was really neat. Uh, yeah, that was fun. Yeah, here in uh, in LA, they do a lot of those cool, uh, like you know, outdoor screenings. But they do rooftop screenings in downtown LA. And we seen we saw the the uh, Boogie Nights there, uh, the Warriors, I think at one point. Um, and yeah, I mean, I can watch Boogie Nights. We will get to that movie at some point. Corey and I will probably split double duties, breaking down the movie in halves. <laughs> You'll do one half, <laughs> I'll do the other because they're so hard. But my God, that movie is gold. Yeah. Every single line in that movie. It's it's probably one of the best written films of all time. And it didn't win any, didn't win an Academy Award for any of that shit. Fuck the Academy. That's Acad- why the Academy sucks. Fuck the Academy. 
Fuck yeah. them. Fuck them. Like, yeah, Will Smith banned for 10 years, but, you know, we can Who hand cares? out, like, Academy Awards to Roman Polanski and shit after the fact yeah. that we all know that what he did. No. Go fuck yourself. The Academy Awards, the Academy can go fuck itself. No one gives a fuck anymore about Hollywood. It's fucking over, yeah. man. Get, just fucking go die. Just go rot and die. <laughs> It, it died for me when they gave the best picture to Forrest Gump over Shawshank Redemption. Fuck Forrest like, Gump. What? I hate fucking Forrest Gump. No that way. Movie sucks my balls. <laughs> fucking hate that movie. I hate that movie with a fucking passion. It's a hard it's a, to get to All right, back to our ticket. Rowdy tells Taryn to drive through the fence while Donna drops noise grenades to flush them out. <laughs> she drops noise grenades. On them. Plane... <laughs> on, on them. Hold on. She drops them on the good guys. Uh, they got to get everyone away from Edie. Noise grenades. Yeah. i never heard of those before. <laughs> Donna drops the grenades, and it goes off just as Taryn blasts through the fence. The Jeep pulls up to the house, and everyone jumps out. Taryn seems to have fallen out, but turns the mistake into an action roll as awesome. noise grenades roll, explode all around her. Did you notice that? Like, she, it's not an action roll. She, like, falls and then sort of turns it into a roll. Yeah, it's awesome. It's, it's, it's clearly a, a, you know, goof. Like, she didn't mean to. Yeah. But she pulled it off. She did. She did. She recovered. So and, you and gotta he's like, this props. is gold. It's gold. Yeah, Jerry, totally. Gold. Mad props. Rowdy gets into a shootout with a lone guard who takes out the tires of their Jeep while Rowdy, true to character, can't hit him for shit. Jay takes the guy out in one shot and chastises Rowdy for not practicing. <laughs> Jade swaps out his rifle for the bazooka. Donna finishes dropping her grenades and lands the glider. Taryn takes cover behind a small wall while Michael shoots at her. In the house, Jade is held at gunpoint by a lucky guard that finds him. Donna makes her way to the Jeep and grabs a gun while Rowdy busts through the front door of the house. This distracts the guard and Rowdy kicks the gun out of his hand. Jade hands Rowdy his bazooka and tells him the guard is his to deal with. They square up to fight while Rowdy runs off. Jade says, life's a bitch and then you die before kicking the shit out of the guard. Outside, Taryn moves to another spot of the wall, and when Michael shoots at where she used to be, Taryn pops up and unloads her Uzi on him. Great squibs on Michael. He takes, like, fucking great. five hits, dude. Yeah, it's awesome. It's a, This is a great action scene. It, yeah, I mean, great it, by B-movie standards, you know? It's a lot of yeah, fun. I, I know what you mean. I mean, dude... It is great, man. It's a lot of fucking fun. I don't give a shit. Because yeah. if, if there was no squibs, it would have sucked a little bit. But no, there's fucking squibs, and it's fucking awesome, you know? You remember when Rob Zombie started using those uh, CGI squibs? Oh, that was so cool. Oh, God, I hate CGI squibs. I, I, ugh, Rob I Zombie, I think, was one of the first time first horror directors I saw using that. And I'm like, oh, this is this is great. And, and like, <laughs> the, like, the practical person in me... Is like I totally get it, right? Because when you shoot somebody with a squib, it ruins the shirt. So if you have to do another take, you have to reset and everything. I totally get why you would do the CGI stuff, but at the same time, it fucking sucks. I love a good squib, dude. It sucks. And Me you know too. who does the best squibs? Verhoeven. Yeah, he does. He's the king of squibs. And you know who doesn't? Rob Zombie. <laughs> yep, exactly. <laughs> Back inside, Jade is still fighting the guard. 
When the guard breaks Jade's bead necklace that his mother gave him, he puts on a pair of metal bear claws and fucks yeah, the badass. guy. Yeah, fucks the guy up. The fight. That's why ends. I'm like Jade's not that bad. That Jade's not that bad. This is my favorite. This is like my favorite Jade part. The fight ends with Jade having the guard in like this neck lock and saying, "And then you die." And then he kind of like with both hands rips the guy's fucking throat out. I'm like, "What the fuck, yeah. man? It's wild. It's awesome. It is. It Hell is. yeah, Jade. Dolph Lundgren never did that shit. Nope, sure shit didn't. Rowdy eventually finds Edie tied up in the house." Edie signals to Rowdy to look to her left, and we see Kimo hiding behind a door. Kimo fires a couple rounds at Rowdy, who's hiding behind a couch. But Rowdy pops up with his bazooka and blows Kimo away. <laughs> like, out the window. It's awesome. awesome. Again, it's awesome. Then he yeah. smiles a huge grin at Edie. It's wonderful. <laughs> Jade walks in and says, Nice shooting, Rowdy. You're improving. <laughs> I do like their bromance. Rowdy tells Jade she's all yours. Jade looks at Edie tied up and says, oh, this is fucking terrible. Wait a minute. This is sensational. Kinky sex. I'll go get the midgets and the whips. Edie, who's fucking tied up and gagged, mumbles something. And Jade laughs and says, okay, baby. And he unties her and they kiss. So every all the points that I gave Jade, he lost them all right there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, no, she's no, she's been terrorized. No, it's not not cool, not cool. No, and he and he, the thing is, like, he doesn't even deliver his lines good. You know, that's the no, problem. It's so. Oh God, I know you. I know you know what the best thing is for women who've been traumatized to just be swept off their feet by funny hunk. That's what it is. Ugh. No. That's not cut to his wife. I told him to take that scene out, but he he thought it would be great. It is great. It's gold. No, no cut, cut to his wife. I love Jade. I think she loves the men as much as Andy loves the women in this movie. There you go. I wouldn't be surprised. And Andy might love the men too, but that's, you know. Uh, no, nothing wrong good. with that. Ain't nothing wrong with that. Ain't nothing wrong with any of that. Nope. It's hard <laughs> to <get> do I? <laughs> backpedal, backpedal. Backpedaling from an awkward conversation. <laughs> good one, good one. Outside, Donna is chasing down Earring and Rosie. They're, they're running to the chopper and shooting back at her. Donna hides behind a tree next to Rowdy, who's, hiding behind, uh, who's holding the bazooka. He's kind of hiding behind the Jeep. Donna tells him to hand her the rocket gun, the quote-unquote rocket gun. Give me that rocket gun. Come on. As the helicopter takes off with Rosie and Earring in it, Donna yells, Don't do it! No! Rowdy tells her to (laughs) take them out. Donna aims the rocket gun and blows the (laughs) helicopter out of the sky. R.I.P. Earring and Rosie. I mean, she did warn him. She did. Terry gets excited and yells, far out. James Bond did that in Live and Let Die. That was really gnarly. Donna yells back, this isn't make-believe, it's real life. Then looks at Rowdy and says, isn't that right, numb nuts? <laughs> Rowdy replies with, I love when you talk dirty. There's, there's nothing like, there's just people yelling at each other. There's no conversation <laughs> happening because what one person says has no relation to the, what the other person says. Hey, babe, what's for dinner tonight? Fuck you and your Hot Wheels. 
<laughs> Macaroni and cheese? Great. What? It's great. <laughs> the whole gr- the whole gang group up uh, in the aftermath of the battle. Rowdy says, looks like it's all over here. Edie, you all right? She says she's fine and thanks them, especially Jade. Uh, Donna tells Taryn, well, kid, I'm going to take you out tonight. Catch you back at the house? Taryn says she'll see her there later. Donna gives Rowdy a kiss on the cheek and leaves. Taryn says their Jeep is going to need an overhaul. Rowdy suggests they take the bad guy's van. Nobody's going to need it, and they all leave. I love this stuff. I love this next scene, by the way. It's so fucking funny. (laughs) In the van, Taryn is driving Mm -hmm. while Edie is laying down. Uh, Jade says, you wouldn't believe it. Rowdy fired six shots at the guy. He missed every time. I like this. I like he's calling back to that. I, I think that's that's cool. That's really cool. Rowdy says, yeah. hey, I knew you were covering me. Uh, Taryn jokes that the wannabe female bartender practically ran into her arms, but but he didn't. That didn't. That's not no. what happened. No. Uh, and, and then she laughs. And then my note is, I mean, a person's dead. You know, like, we don't need to laugh at them. We killed them good. <laughs> Taryn might be a sociopath. Yeah, I think she is. Edie then chimes in with, who got that bastard? Seth. Everybody, everybody looks at each other and Taryn slams on the brakes. Just then the side doors of the van open and Rowdy drives out on a dirt bike and heads back the way they came. <laughs> It's the best. It's the best. That's, it's a, the best. They're like, oh, shit. Yeah. We forgot to kill the main guy. Because while I was watching, I was like, so is he flying the helicopter? You know, like I didn't, yeah, you yeah. know. Yeah. It's really funny. It's almost like Andy Sedaris was like, oh, crap. Oh, shit. Oh, we shot it all. Yeah, yeah. Damn it. Oh. I knew I forgot something. <laughs> I knew I forgot somebody. <laughs> uh, cut to nighttime at Donna's house. She's taking off her makeup in the bathroom. When she comes out, Seth grabs her from the shadows. He slams her against the wall and is holding a knife. He asks her where the diamonds are. Donna replies with a knee to the groin. Knee to the groin. Knee to the groin. <laughs> Women's self-defense. Scratch. Scratch. What's that from? I know that's from something. Pa- Pablo Francisco, the stand-up co- comedian, does oh, a funny bit on, on women's self-defense. Knee to the groin. Knee to the groin. And then the pepper spray. He was like, <laughs> come here, get closer so I can put this gel in your face. <laughs> by the way i was like donna screen queen right here like she would be oh. great as a in a horror film yeah oh um, totally and it's like an all sincerity because i think she's got a really you know the fact that she's a playboy playmate but she's like she's a good actor too i think you yeah know? yeah and and if she's doing all this while also inebriated like she's only gonna i assume get better and i actually really want to watch like more with her, so I'm gonna kind of move forward with it because I'm sure you are. I'm sure I am because oh Donna, woo! It's hard to get to I won't be in the room when Corey watches this. <laughs> nope, nope, nope. <laughs> uh, she recovers and swings the knife. Uh, oh, sorry. Seth recovers and swings the knife but misses. Donna dives into her closet and locks the door. This is very Halloween-esque. That's why I wrote this down. I'm like, oh, this is totally referent Halloween yep. ripoff homage. She, she she grabs a spear gun out of a box uh, while Seth tries hacking through the door. Just as he reaches through just as he reaches through and opens the door, she shoots him in the chest with the harpoon. I'm cool with that. Yep. Donna runs up to him and yells, damn you, as she punches him to the ground. She, like, beats him down. 
She thinks he's he's out, but we see him slowly reach for his knife. Donna looks at a picture of her dad, then leaves the room. We see cool, nice callback. Yeah, yeah. We see Seth get to his feet in the mirror. Cut to Rowdy driving his dirt bike down a dirt road. You like my sound effects? I do. Oh, you're hired. This is great. <laughs> Forget are. Michael Winslow from Police Academy. <laughs> In the kitchen, Donna leans against the refrigerator and then grabs an ice cube from the freezer and wipes it on herself. No, it's not as sexy as you think it is. No. All of a sudden, she pauses and looks behind her. The camera changes angles, and we see Seth on the other side of the wall. Donna yells and spins around and grabs the knife in his hand. She And I like this, too. She grabbed the blade, so it's like cutting into her hand. Yep. She's a badass. Yep. Donna spins the knife around and sticks it into Seth's gut. We think he dies on the floor in a pool of his own blood. Donna runs back into the bathroom and slumps down beside the toilet and starts cleaning her cut hand. When she throws the bloody tissue in the toilet and tries to flush it, the giant contaminated snake literally explodes out of the toilet. Donna screams and dives out of the bathroom and shuts the door. She looks back and sees Seth starting to sit up while while clutching the knife. She dives over the bed and hides on the other side. The snake breaks a mirror in the bathroom, and Seth slowly walks over to the door while Donna peeks out from behind the bed. Usually you want your your main protagonist to actually have a hand in the antagonist's death, but that's not really what happens. No. Seth, broken and bloody opens the bathroom door with his knife raised and screams as the snake bites him in the face. Seth stumbles back and dies for real this time. The snake slithers out of the bathroom and Donna screams and grabs her gun from beside the bed. She rolls out to the living room and takes aim. She shoots the snake in the mouth but doesn't kill it. Just then, Rowdy rides his bike through her front door and grabs the bazooka. She screams, Rowdy, look! And he says, damn! And then he shoots his bazooka and blows the snake's head off. Rowdy asks where the hell the snake came from. Donna says, would you believe up through the toilet? He replies with, just when you thought it was safe to take a pee. Oh, God. Yep. Donna rolls her eyes and hugs him. Yep. Way to go, Donna. Way to go, Donna. <laughs> that, and that was like the climax. So now we kind of have like sort of the denouement here. Um, cut to Honolulu. We see Edie, Donna, Taryn, and Rowdy riding in a limo with Jimmy John Jackson. Jade is driving and Donna is wrapping her cut hand with... She's wrapping her cut hand but also hiding brass knuckles under the wrapping. Rowdy says, okay, folks, we got one more stop on this tour. He tells Jade to stop at the next building. They all get out of the limo, but Rowdy tells them they gotta let him and Donna handle this one. Rowdy tells Donna that he's up in the penthouse. Let's do it. As they're walking inside, Donna asks who the hell this Chang guy is. Rowdy says he's the brains. Chinese father, British mother, raised in Hong Kong and London. Educated, suave, merciless. His bodyguard's a sadistic killer. Chang keeps him happy with his work. You know, that's all good dialogue. Not going to lie. It's all good. I think Sedaris is, like, fascinated with British spies and Chinese yeah. villains. Yeah. 
Oh God, yeah. Oh, oh God, yeah. He's he's infatuated with spies and yeah, yeah, and big boobs. Yep, yep. Yes. <laughs> God. In his penthouse, Mr. Chang is on the phone while his bodyguard stares at him because that's what his bodyguard does. <laughs> Rowdy and Donna walk in, and the bodyguard stands up between them and Mr. Chang. Mr. Chang tells Destroyer, now we know what the bodyguard's name is, to, to tear them in half. But Rowdy punches him in the face with nunchucks. But he doesn't go down, so Rowdy rains blow after blow upon him while Mr. Chang grabs a sword from the wall behind his desk. I mean, Destroyer does nothing but take a beating. Yeah, he does. Donna and starts. They show, they show the bruises afterwards. It's brutal. Donna starts punching Destroyer too. Uh, yeah. <laughs> eventually, they both beat him down. They turn around and tell Chang that it's over. He replies with, "In a pig's ass." Then he raises his sword like he's going to throw it, and Rowdy and Donna draw their guns. They tell him to drop it, but he throws the sword, and Donna blasts him through the penthouse window. Mister Chang screams as he falls and lands right in front of the limo. And I think Taryn and Jimmy John should have just been covered in blood. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Taryn screams and hugs Jimmy John, who says, I've heard of guys being dropped for a loss before, but this is really radical. Oh, sports reference. din in in Yep. Back in the penthouse, Donna and Rowdy are looking at the sword stuck in the wall between them. Rowdy says, thanks, kiddo. I'd probably have missed the son of a bitch. Again, I like Meanwhile, the ongoing, like, you know, uh, joke. But then calling her a kiddo is... Kiddo is, yeah. is weird. Yeah. Cut to the Malibu Express, <laughs> and our gang is chilling. Rowdy proposes they all deserve a vacation cruise. Donna says they need to go back to Malachi first and find the other diamonds and turn them over to the agency. Taryn says, excuse me, Kimosabi, but we don't know where the diamonds are. Only moi knows where the diamonds are. As federal agents, you all are bound by law to turn in any confiscated goods, right? I'm just a mere civilian. Since anyone who could identify the diamonds are dead, the diamonds belong to me. Jimmy John asks if she can do that. Rowdy says she sure can. Taryn continues. And she can also share the wealth with her friends. A job worth doing is a job worth doing for the right price. They all cheer and toast their champagne glasses. Cut Ha-ha. to the credits. And then we have, and, and during the credits, great song, Hard Ticket. Not Hard Ticket to Hawaii, but Hard Ticket is playing. While they cut in shots of, like, sort of more stenciled uh, credits, which are cool. But then also shots of the movie that we just saw. And I was like, okay, I kind of don't like it when movies show us what we just saw in the credits. But then they chose to show us all the boobs. And I was like, okay, okay, I like this. This is fine. (laughs) And that's it. That's Hard Ticket to Hawaii. And thank you, Aaron. Thank you. Aaron, if it wasn't for you, we would have not incriminated ourselves. (laughs) So thank you. The hard ticket to Hawaii. I hope this doesn't come back to bite me in the ass. <laughs> oh, buddy. Whoa, what, what a ride. What a ride. You said it multiple times. This is a fun movie. Yeah. It's it's, it's dumb, but in the best ways possible. Um, I think it's weirdly sincere, you know, like in what they're trying to do. They know exactly what they are. And every scene is fucking bad. That shit insane. It's 
Guys and gals, if you have not seen it at this point, we're three hours in. If you haven't seen it, I hope you do watch it because nothing we can do here can give it justice. And nothing we can say or do can give Donna Spear justice as well. Yeah, I mean, Donna Spear gets the uh, award for best actor in the movie for sure, for sure. This movie and, and its subsequent sequels are free on Tubi, by the way. Yeah. I just want to point yep. that out. Yeah, it's 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 a wild cult movie. It's it, it exploitative in many ways, uh, but that's what our show is all about in many ways. So it's just fun. It's silly. It's ridiculous. It's over the top. It it's it's a barrel of monkeys, if you will. Uh, not for the fact that you know there's moments that there, there's now I will correct myself. <clears throat> There's moments that are just, like, not necessary, but who cares? Even the unnecessary moments are laughable. And you get through it, and at the end of it, you don't feel like you wasted any time. So I, I, I know I didn't feel like I wasted any time by the end of this. No, no, I, I freaking love this movie. I, I own the Blu-ray. Um, I'm going to be watching more. I'll probably just buy them because they're all, like, they're either 10 to 12 bucks on Amazon. They're so yeah, they're fucking pretty cheap. cheap. And they have great fucking covers. Uh, not a lot as far as extra features go or anything, but I don't give a shit. I, I'm, I'm here I'm here for the boobs, guys. I'm here for the boobs. It's a hard ticket to ticket to Hawaii. <laughs> I'm not going to say anymore because I don't want to get myself in trouble. <laughs> but we both love this movie. Yeah. Uh, th- thank you, Aaron. Thank you again for, for, yeah, for picking awesome. this for us to, to review. Uh, we also know the other movies you want us to review, hopefully in the future. And yeah, all of them are good. So this is this is a good time. Thank you for the boobs, Aaron. Thank you. <laughs> and and you know Aaron as well. Well, Crystal knows for sure. Even if you choose a movie that's not that great, uh, we will give it the due gil- the due diligence yeah. and respect of the picker's choice. And we will we will break this sucker down so hard that it'll feel like paradise. <laughs> there you go. And you know what always feels like paradise? Two dollar late fee. What's oh, up, buddy? Nice. What you got? What you got going on next month, my man? Well, martial arts madness is over, and we're back into our original all good format. Uh, we discussed 1991's Hanging with the Homeboys on our latest episode. If you haven't seen that movie, I highly recommend you seek it out. It's very hard to find, but it is 100% worth finding. And we have an upcoming interview with actor Nestor Serrano. If you don't know this guy's body of work, uh, you will if you saw his face. If you saw his face, you'd go, oh, I know who that dude is. Um, and we discussed he, him on the uh, the very first episode of TV Obscura when you talked about the Hat Squad. That's right. And he, speaking of the Hat Squad, he tells a wild story of one of the other actors in the Hat Squad and some controversy as to why it only went 13 episodes. Hey. There's a reason. There's a very spicy reason for that where when Dustin and I heard him tell the story our jaws dropped we were like whoa that's shocking wow okay yeah and it comes around it comes back many years later so you gotta listen to this interview the dude is a super cool guy he's on the level of a De Niro by the way he's that freaking talented um and yeah that's what we're doing over a two dollar late fee and and he recorded a great two dollar six questions that'll be available on Patreon I know a lot of the people who listen to this show listen are also patrons to po- Podcasting After Dark and Two Dollar Late Fee. But if you're not, consider being one. And if you're not a subscriber to our Patreon on Pad, 
please consider doing that because you get to do what Aaron's doing, we, uh, breaking down her a movie of her choice. We Corey broke it down and then we discussed it together. Yeah. Uh, and and the wrap up after dark for this month is going to be very entertaining. It'll tie into Hawaii because I'm going to tell some funny stories from my time there that you'll only hear exclusively on Patreon's Podcasting After Dark page. That's right. And we also have The Carpenter Factor, where Zach and I are going through every single John Carpenter movie in order. We started with Dark Star, and we've already done that. Uh, We've already done Assault on Precinct 13 and Halloween. And this month, we are going to be talking about his first uh, made-for-TV movie. I think it's Somebody Watching Me, something like that. Uh, But we are going to be covering it. We're going to be covering that one, his, his other TV movie, The Elvis One. And and then uh, after that, we're going to also recover, like, The Thing and Prince of Darkness and everything. But um, I think we, The Fog will be next, I, right? Yeah, I think so. And and we don't fully break them down. It's a much more freeform discussion. But that allows us to kind of focus our discussion on what the Carpenter factor is for these movies and, and or for his movies in general. Um, but we're looking at his entire filmography as a whole. It's going to be a two-year uh, long uh, series and then once we're done with it uh, we'll go on to our next auteur and that can be found under the auteur de force tier so we got yep. all kinds of stuff going on on the podcast after dark patreon uh, I, I, you, you get all the regular episodes too uh, completely ad free so you don't hear any of the ads that we cut in or anything like that so you can just listen to us talk about hard tickets to Hawaii and big boobs the entire time with no ads whatsoever. And, uh, you know, of course, you help keep the lights on at the studio. So we thank you guys so much for all the love and support you give us. And trust us, it's it's signing up for our Patreon is cheaper than a 900 number. <laughs> right? I don't even know if those things still exist anymore. I, if I they don't. Do, it's still cheaper than a 900 number. <laughs> Five minutes on a 900 number. Yeah, dude, man. Oh, those those are days long gone. But uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, anyways, check out all the shows on the BFOP network. Check out Hey Cartwright Seinfeld podcast. Check out Talking Back, Action Action, uh, The Blast from Our Past, Throwback Trivia Takedown, all the good shit. And as always. We'll catch you on the dark side. Be sure to subscribe to Podcasting After Dark and give us a five-star rating on iTunes. Support Podcasting After Dark on Patreon. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Podcasting After Dark. And visit us next time for another installment of Podcasting After Dark with Corey Stevenson and Zach Schaefer. Imagine being one of the last people on Earth being trapped alone with something not human something always watching something always waiting what would you do where would you run where would you hide if you were haunted for seven winters alone podcasting after dark presents 
Seven Winters Alone, a dystopian haunted house story by David Irons. Available now in paperback and ebook.